I'm going to be honest. Because that's what we do on this podcast. Or that's what I try to do. This is the second time I am recording this intro. The first one I did before I had started editing. And this one I have now finished editing. It's 11.45 at night. (laughs) And I felt like I needed to re-record it. If you take away anything from this podcast... It was intense. It was an intense podcast. Which is good. Because that means that the conversation was authentic. And that's really all I'm trying to get here. But the one takeaway is fact check. Fact check everything. Fact check everything I say. Fact check everything our guest says. Even if you think you know it to be true. Or you think you know it to be fake. Just fact check. We are in a world where we have access to so much information just fact check i would recommend duckduckgo because trying to pull up some of the some of these things on google has proved to be difficult or at least not at the top of the list but just google just google or duckduckgo i mean everything just check because some things that were said i need a jamie For those of you that watch JRE, you know what I'm talking about. I need someone who can be on the podcast and fact check. So this is me officially putting out that. If anybody's interested, I can't pay you because I'm poor. But you get to sit in on some cool, hopefully cool conversations. And you can have some booze and stuff. So if you know anybody that's interested or has a flexible schedule and wants to do it, just pull things up and fact check us as we're talking. Send them my way. Because there are things that I wish I would have pulled up, but it's hard when you're you're actively engaged in the conversation. Things I said, things our guests said, but it's hard to do that and be engaged in the conversation. Ivermectin, these are just I'm just gonna throw these things out there and fact check it. Ivermectin was first approved for human use back in 1996. Let's just put that out there. Approved to be used. In humans in 1996. Ivermectin is also on the WHO model list of essential medicines. That is the World Health Organization's list of essential medicines. Ivermectin is on there. Some of you might know Ivermectin by its unfortunate tied name of horse dewormer, which it is also used as. These were kind of the big ones that bothered me. And there was no TSA before 9-11. There wasn't. I think it was all privately contracted out. Whatever security there was. No TSA. Google that one. I just, I don't want to spread misinformation. I try not to do that intentionally for sure. So fact checked everything. Fact checked everything. And this was a wild podcast. It was intense. Not in a bad way. I am extremely grateful to our guest for coming on. But it was a different kind of conversation than I think I've had on the podcast thus far. Definitely won't be the last. And it challenged me in good ways. I I feel like... This episode, especially in our last one with Felicity, too, 
we have entered a new level of the podcast, or I have entered a new level in my podcasting journey, I guess. And I don't really know what that fully means yet, but I feel it. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode. I hope you pull something from it. Whatever that may be, I hope it proves to be beneficial in your life. I think, you know, the podcast has to speak for itself. So please give it up for Samantha Biasca. Yeah, it's it's been a minute. Yeah, I, I think, think you're this big. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was probably, I mean, I don't even know, elementary school maybe? Middle school? Probably middle school. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds about right, yeah. I think. <laughs> it's, yeah. So, how's life? How's everything going? And this, I mean, times were a lot less hectic, I think we could say, the last time we saw each other. Yeah, life's been really great. Um, yeah, I don't have any complaints. I saw you're living up in Seattle? Yeah, I live in Tacoma now, which is just south of Seattle. Oh, nice. How do you like that? I really like it. Yeah, I've lived in a couple places in Seattle. Um, and so I think I prefer living in Seattle a little bit more than Tacoma just because of the traffic. Okay. But where I live now, it's like surrounded by trees, which has been really nice. Is Tacoma bigger then? Um, it's not bigger than necessarily but traffic's worse yeah traffic's a lot worse because it's right going through seattle oh wow it was a little crazy in seattle over all of this no or not bad where you were yeah i mean um i think that the the pandemic's been hard in seattle especially just because in any large city it's hard for people to like really quarantine when you're kind of so close stacked on top of people yeah 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 it's been it's been a long couple of years. It's just been crazy. Yeah. And we're still going. <laughs> I mean, that's all part of it, right? Yeah. We're still going. And you, I did a little deep dive on your Facebook because I was like, I didn't know what to expect. And you are, it seems, pretty involved in the Native American community. Yeah. Okay. Are you, you're Native American, obviously, I would assume. Yeah, I yeah. am. I'm Haida Clinkett and Anupiak. Okay. Wow. So your dad was. Mm-hmm. Okay. Wow. And are you on, it looked like you were speaking at like a city council thing? Yeah, I spoke at um, the King County City Council oh, okay. once, which was pretty cool. It was a good experience. Um, uh, we got to go and, you know, state what we were looking for and hoping for to work with them. And um, I was on the King County, like a task force with them. So, yeah, it was a really good experience. What were you guys trying to address with the task force? Um gender equity and sexual okay. orientation inclusion and so there's just a lot of laws in the county that didn't make any sense and so we were trying to talk to them about it and really create some recommendations around that on how the county could better address that specifically for the native american community or just for everyone for everyone yeah Where, what were the laws um there's different like building codes that you know don't allow for you know, like unisex bathrooms and things that make it just more accessible for folks mm. um different laws around like licensing and like what genders are allowed on your license plate you know or, or like on your um like your oh you like your driver's your license driver's license oh yes, i didn't even you. think about that yeah okay and so different states have adopted different legislation to allow folks to be better expressed on there so 
kind of apply what they want to on there instead yeah. of just male or female. Right. Okay, that's cool. And did that work? Did you guys get anything pushed through? Or it's they still were a work really in supportive of it, and then the pandemic happened. And oh, so, this was so, pre-COVID. Yeah, so then our task force hasn't really met since. Oh, that sucks. Yeah. Oh, so no, <laughs> nothing really changed. Um, not so far, no. Yeah. But you know, I think that they're still open to the work. I just think that they were like the the people working on that um task force on the King County side like were immediately switched to like COVID relief efforts and stuff. So there was still a lot of like good community outreach from their department. It just had to shift to more like, does everybody have masks? Can everybody like does everyone have sand sanitizer and just more you know needs there. That's the unfortunate side of COVID, right? Is everything that was all the progress that was pre COVID kind of got put on the back burner. Yeah. Because just so many other yeah. humanitarian needs. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, obviously you have to address what's what's going on. Especially in the beginning when nobody knew what it was. You didn't really have time to look at anything else. Or yeah. so we thought. Yeah. But I think, I mean, are they looking at it now? Or are they kind of getting back to where it was? Or it's still kind of on the back burner? If they are, they haven't reached back out to me, which is fine. <laughs> like, not that they need to reach out to me um, to restart it. But, um I think that they're, you know, sort of not going back to business as usual, but I think that they've been able to handle some of the more urgent crises and like refocus their their work. Oh, that's good. Yeah. How did you get involved with that? Um, I was asked to join it. I was originally working at Chief Seattle Club, which is um I don't know what that is. It's a native nonprofit in Seattle that addresses native homelessness. Um oh, wow. native folks are more likely to experience homelessness than most other races, um, especially in Seattle. So, um it was like a day shelter and place for folks to get food. Um they're just oper- uh open some housing there. So that's pretty cool. Um, and that while I was working there, there were a lot of opportunities that I got. So um, I think that Seattle works really hard to be inclusive of of um, like all different diversity and really like I think folks reach out to the native person or organization that they know for everything. So <laughs> it felt like we got asked to do or join everything and. Um, it was way more than one or 10 people could even do. So I think like we all got different opportunities to, to really work within the county and stuff. Was it a pretty big group of you guys working for that number? Yeah. Yeah. And it's growing every day. So it's really, they're opening up more and more housing, um, in the city itself, which is amazing. Do they know why the Native Americans are hit particularly hard with homelessness? Is it just like a lack of access to resources or... I think so, and I think that um, it also has a lot to do with, like, the historical and current trauma um, that Native people face. Um, There really haven't been a lot to address different traumas, Um, and I think it's also just, um, it's also just, like, a lack all around. I mean, I think Native folks in in Seattle make up 10% of the entire homeless population. Oh, wow. Um, we make up 3% of the total population um, and 10% of, like, the homeless population. So it's it's more about, um, like, different burdens that our communities are facing. Like, there's an epidemic of murdered and missing Indigenous women. Um, you know, Native women are have some of the highest rates of domestic violence. Um, I think a lot of folks are trying to, to get out of bad situations. Um it's it's a so many 
issues that I think we really face that other groups face at less high rates? Yeah, the the domestic abuse and kidnappings are are pretty rampant. There's some highway in Canada that goes through a pretty desolate part of Canada. And that's the thing is it goes through all these Native American tribes and people just go missing all the time and they can't seem to get a handle on it. Yeah, I think that there's a couple of things happening at play that really work against us. I think that um, I think that the media is less interested in helping us. <laughs> you know, society is less interested in helping us because of st- various stereotypes that they believe about us. Um, stereotypes like? I think that there's stereotypes... Um, like when someone goes to file like a mar- a missing person case, the police will ask, you know, did they run away or this or that or, you know, were there issues at home that they had? So um, I think we've seen, you know, on a national scale, people will search the entire country for missing white women. And like really there's black and native and transgender women out there that are re- people really aren't looking for um, outside of their own communities or their own families. And I think it just doesn't get the same media coverage. I don't think that people are as interested in helping us. I think that there's stereotypes of like, oh, they're just looking for handouts or this or that, like that aren't relevant at all. Native Americans are consi- like constantly faced with the stereotype of being alcoholics and statistics show that we actually drink um, less than white folks today. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah. And it's um, like we have... I guess our, well, our rates are like with white folks, it shows that um, we drink at similar rates when people are drinking and that significantly higher groups of like native folks aren't drinking at all. And so it's kind of funny because we've been stereotyped with different, you know, stereotypes that don't fit us and that we can't seem to shake. <laughs> yeah, that's a branding that's stuck, right? Is yeah. that alcoholism is pretty rampant on tribal land. And it's, you know, pretty rampant everywhere across yeah, America. That's and the I think thing, that right? it's easy to like point out what's wrong in other people's communities without like looking at the, you know, unemployment rates and without looking at like the lack of opportunities and without looking at like the, you know, the education systems that maybe aren't as great as other places because there aren't as many resources there. So I think that things are really changing. I think that, you know, Native folks really care about education and different things. And I think we have to work twice as hard to really prove ourselves. So are you on, so when being involved with the nonprofit, did that kind of awaken you to all of this or were you pretty aware of what had been going on in the community before then? I think that I was always aware of what was happening, but I didn't um, have the firsthand experience of like really seeing this and, you know, talking to people every day that were really struggling. And I think that that was really um, eye-opening for me because I think that, um, I think that really working there gave me the opportunity to to feel like I could help my own community in a bigger way than I had realized before. And Is it a lack of a voice on a national stage that kind of pushes that? The, like this lack of these lack of resources, the lack of exposure to getting help with whether it's the homeless problem, which is rampant everywhere. I mean, especially here, we have a the homeless population is just rampant, and I don't know if it's people not getting access to resources or if on some level it's a choice like they just don't want to conform in that way i mean you hear different opinions all the time but that and then obviously people going missing which is a big one i don't think that there's any lack of a voice i think that it's falling on deaf ears um and i think that 
you know, the United States is intentionally set up Native Americans to be very isolated and segregated on reservations. That was entirely intentional. You know, if we're way out there, <laughs> then really um, it's your own fault, whatever you make of it out there, you know, like it, it's so separated. And I think that that's really um, been a struggle. And of course, there's been different, you know, government pushes to get us off of reservations so that there can be more of, like land grabs and land opportunities there. Um, and so, you know, most Native folks today live off reservation. But I think that um, that the the struggles are still there. Um, and I think that there's a focus on the struggles and the trauma um, that make us consistently have to be resilient, consistently have to be strong, consistently have to work for each other. I, I think that maybe folks don't even realize that we're here. Um, I don't know how many times I've heard, oh, you're Native American? That's so cool. I didn't know there were any Native people left. Or like, oh, well, you're not really Native, are you? And it's like, um, I don't even know what that's supposed to that's mean. That's got to be frustrating. <laughs> like, yeah. Yes, really, really am. <laughs> like, it's frustrating, but it's also hard to always start a conversation with we are still here. You know, I think that, um, and, and I think that the folks really do expect us to like want special treatment and we don't we we want fairness we want equality we want equity um we want to be treated with respect and not have to consistently start every conversation with like yes we are still here and no i don't speak for all of us and you know like the same sort of it's exhausting because by the time you get to the point of the conversation you've lost half your audience because it's been three minutes <laughs> yeah they just want to catch those clickbaity moments right yeah i always thought the the reservation thing was was kind of weird it seems like why aren't why aren't we all just integrated together i mean i get it like having a space where you can you know have your culture flourish in a way which i think could be beneficial but it's also like why aren't we just all integrated together why are we separating people out from the community well the government you know has set aside reservations to put native people on so that they could take their land yes back and, in the day yeah, right? yeah so so and i think that um there is a strong desire to keep you know the land and the culture alive and do the best you can with where you are um and i and also you know it's well known that the nazis actually developed concentration camps by looking at what the United States did to Native Americans on reservations. So oh, I did not it's, know that. It's not a system that was ever designed to be for our benefit, even if that's what folks have said. Um, and if you want any evidence, look at what Hitler did. <laughs> that's really, he designed it entirely off of reservations. Wow, how crazy is that? How many people know that? Well, I can't imagine. one more today. Yeah, one more today. I can't imagine. <laughs> Yeah. So most people today live off the reservation. Most Native Americans today do live off reservation. Is why is that? Um, you know, historical reasons, current reasons. I think that there's like stereotypes of us um, you know, like never leaving the reservation and I think folks, you know, there are some folks who haven't, but um since like, you know, government swoops, there were pushes to get natives off reservations. Native Americans were, kids were stolen from their families on reservations and put in Native American boarding schools. Um, you know, for the last hundred years. My grandpa went to a boarding school um and survived it. A lot of kids did not survive it. Um, this is in the news all the time lately, especially in Canada. There have been over six thousand five hundred native kids whose bodies have been 
unearthed on residential school grounds, mostly in Canada. They haven't really started looking at the United States boarding schools and searching the grounds. Um, and Native folks have always known that we have relatives there. We've always known. We heard stories, very, you know, hard traumatic stories. And I think folks are eager to say like, oh, well, that's in the past. But, you know, my grandpa wasn't that old. <laughs> it's not really that far in the past. There's still lots of people alive today who experienced it. Um, and the boarding schools were designed intentionally with the mentality of kill the Indian, save the man. It was, you know, meant to strip us of our culture and community um, and really set us up for a life of like domestic servitude to other communities. It was never designed to like help us grow as people or like educate us um, so we could become successful. That really wasn't ever the goal of them. So there's been like wow. so many government programs that have taken us off of the reservation by force. Um, you know, there were opportunities for folks to be leaving reservations and going into cities and the government would promise like, oh, you know, we'll set you up with housing and a job and you and your whole family will be set up and then they get there and there's nothing. Um, so there's been, you know, consistently just a tremendous amount of um, abuse and trauma and because tribes have their own police force, um, there's a consistent, I think, lack of jurisdiction issues. Um, and, like, tribes aren't always able to, like, enforce laws against non-Native folks on their own lands, which means that, like, if you're not able to punish people who harm your community, then it's kind of a free-for-all, which it shouldn't be. Um, and... I think that tribes work very hard to keep their communities safe and do the best that they can. Um, and, you know, we do know that Native women go missing all of the time in cities and on reservations. I don't think that our community is vulnerable or more vulnerable than anyone else. I think that we're targeted. I think that we've been, like, really um, over-sexualized in media and, you know, people have, like, really exoticized us to the point where, um, where we are targeted. God, that's hard. It's hard to hear that, right? It's much harder to live in. Oh, I, I would imagine. <laughs> Absolutely. And yeah. nobody likes talking about difficult things. That's the problem, right? I would imagine that's where people tune out as they say, oh, yeah, it was in the past. Like, we, we don't have to deal with it because yeah. it's already happened. You know, why, why on earth old stones? I guess... I think folks, especially, like, white folks, feel um, some amount of guilt around it. And, like... You know, I've had a lot of conversations with folks who will like cry about it, and that's not helpful. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, what does that's that not, do? That's not helpful, really. Like, it's important to understand um, history and what's happening today because these things are still happening today. Um, not stealing kids to send to boarding school, thank goodness. Um, but Native American boarding schools are still around today. But, you know, a lot of the traumas that are happening, have happened in the past, are still happening today. And I think that, you know, we see these things happening on the border, too. Um, and it's really a travesty. I think that um, if we had more open and honest conversations and dialogues about it, I, I think that we would be less likely to repeat history with other groups of people like we see happening um, to a lot of Hispanic people on the border, like, you know, watching their kids being stripped from their parents and put in these detention centers. Yeah, feels, the cages is... It feels really reminiscent about things that, you know, have been happening for hundreds of years to other Native groups. So um, I just think that really, like, we have to be more focused on what we can do together to prevent this from happening and heal from what has, has already happened. 
And so if your grandfather was taken, I mean, this must have been occurring in the 50s. Um, he was born in 1924. Oh, okay. Um, and I think that really, like, he he is um just such a miracle because he had a mom that fought so hard for him, and um I think that that is how he you know really survived. So he he told me stories about it, and his mom um once his dad passed away moved with the kids. And she wasn't really, like, able to feed them on her own anymore. And so, um, like, they were, she had three kids, and they were sent to different boarding schools. And um, the Haynes Orphanage she tried to volunteer at. And, well, she was supposed to work there. She was working there for a few months. And they never paid her. And they said that, um, you know, she said that they were evil people. And, like, they would, like, hose off all of the kids um for a shower time like with a hose and there's pictures of my grandpa's brother you know like uh, digging for potatoes in the garden like you know as a little kid just like manual labor um and so she took you know the kids and left and tried to find a better situation um and she ended up she was a dorm room mother for at Mount Edgecombe Residential School in Alaska um but she was only allowed to visit, um, to watch over the, the boys' dorm. She had a daughter, too. Um, and I remember my aunt saying that she thinks that her mom was really struggling because she didn't get to see her mom. You know, she would work. She worked at this um, boarding school where she wasn't making a lot of money, even though she could have worked elsewhere, just so that she could keep an eye on her kids and try to help out. Um, and then when they went to high school, she ended up getting a house down the street from where they went to school so that she'd be able to see them. And on all the breaks, she said all of the kids who didn't have a place to go would come to her house and stay with her. She said she always had a full house taking care of as many kids as possible. And my grandpa, he would tell me stories about how he was really lucky to be going to a boarding school around his community because the teachers didn't mess with him as much as they messed with like Inuit kids who were far away from their families. They didn't have the same support system. They couldn't just go home for breaks and things like that. And those became like, you know, the targeted kids um, who didn't make it. So did your grandmother, did she enroll her kids in that as like a way that they would be taken care of where she didn't have, you know, money for them? I think that she didn't have any options. She mm-hmm. said she didn't have any way of feeding. Well, I mean, obviously, yeah. if they're not paying her, how are you? Exactly. So I think that she made the best out of what she could. Um, I know a lot of kids were sent to these boarding schools um, forcefully, um, even while, you know, my great-grandma was there, you know. But I think that I think that for her, it was just a lack of options as like a single mom of three kids back in you know the 1940s um there just wasn't there wasn't a lot that she could do and she tried to watch over her kids as best as possible and I think that's why they made it you know there's so many pictures and stories of um like there's one that I'm thinking of right in front of the boarding school there's teepees like set up there because they wanted to be as close to their kids as possible they were starving there's no food around there and they still lived outside of that school just so that they could see their kids during break time um like you know these are these we never came from broken homes um our homes were broken our families were broken um my grandpa is 
was one of the best human beings I've ever met in my life. And um, he, he like the family structure that I think a lot of other people have, he didn't like necessarily get to experience in the same way. And it wasn't for any amount of lack of love. It's because he, you know, from the time he was a little kid, had a very different family structure where he was like with all of these other kids, you know, taught by truly horrible people <laughs> in some cases. And, um, you know, he had he had dentures from fourth grade, he said, um, because they didn't ever like teach the kids to brush their teeth. Oh, wow. Um, and so they said it was cheaper to pull all of their teeth as like a young kid than it was to like give them toothbrush and toothpaste. And like you can kind of see how it passes on from generations, you know, um, like In my fourth grade. Yeah, that's what he said. And because uh, I took him to a doctor appointment and we were sitting next to each other. And I was I the, one of the questions of it was about like your teeth. And I asked him and I was like, oh, when was the last time you had a cavity? And he just pulled his dentures out and was like, oh, still not in a long time. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> he said, I've had these since fourth grade. Um, wow. And you just watch this, you know, like different traumas and i think we try to make a lot of jokes about it like native community is full of jokes all of the time like if you're around native folks they're just joking because i think that's a really easy way to talk about hard things um and and you have to you have to you know to keep going um like my grandpa he was a very loving person and never said i love you (laughs) you know like he um i would always be like all right love you grandpa and he'd be like yep you too, <laughs> you know, like he didn't, he didn't have like the same sort of, um, you know, family dynamic. And I think that that really, um, I think that it really messed up like my biological dad, like even he, he would like end emails and stuff to me and he'd be like, love you like a dad. And I was like, that's weird. Like, why would yeah, you say that? Like, like you, that. that's like one of the weirdest way you could possibly say that, <laughs> like, you know, love you like a dad. It was odd. And I think, you know, he was trying to say a lot in there because he didn't raise me. And so I think he was like trying to be like, you know, um, but I also think that it was like a lack of understanding of like how families were supposed to function and look, you know, um, his dad was like a fisherman who wasn't there really. And, you know, he was raised by his like great grandma for the most part. Um, and I, and I think that those sort of traumas, they linger on even after the kids have stopped being forcibly removed, right? Like when, when we think about like, oh, why are, do native people have such high rates of X, Y, and Z? It's, it's not that hard to see, you know, if you know a little bit of history, because um, it's all relevant. Like the the history that we've had has shaped us into who we are. Um, I think even Native folks who grew up in foster care or away from Native community, they are shaped by these experiences that our community has had. And I think that the foster care systems have had a huge impact on how Native people think of themselves. I think that, like, society, like, not not seeing pictures of us anywhere besides from, like, the, the 19, you know, hundreds has made folks think that we aren't here, and we are. And I think people really are excited to see us dressed in regalia, looking like pictures back in the old days, and they're less interested to see us, like, really thrive, looking like most other folks out here. Um, like, our culture is still very much so alive, and it's changed, you know, all cultures change. That's a part of it. That's a part of growing and thriving and surviving all of it. We've had to change. The broken home life, that's that's a hard subject because that carries on through generations. Like that growing up, I mean, especially if you're if you're being taken from your family and put into foster care or put into a boarding school. I mean, I can't imagine how bad those 
boarding school. Boarding schools nowadays aren't great. And so to <laughs> go back to the 20s or the 40s, that's it's not hard to imagine what, what went on there. Yeah. And, and that carries on. Like, that's yeah. not a one-generation thing. That That has a ripple effect through the family. Right. For generations, you know, you have a cousin, you know, who never came home from there. Um, those stories are very much so still alive. Those stories are part of, of our communities and shape how, how we are able to really deal with different things. Um, and, you know, all of these schools, they were run by churches. Um, that's, Which is not That's good. definitely shaped our relationship with churches. <laughs> you know, I think that... Um, I think that a lot of people don't understand or are reluctant to understand because it means, um, I think that people just don't want to be like complicit. And I think that people are like, oh, if I hear about that, then like, oh, I'm a part of it. But it's, it's not even about that. I think nobody's guilt helps us. <laughs> no, that doesn't help us at all. Um, what does help us is like support and understanding and like, you know, sharing out information and really just being a good ally, you know, really caring, really wanting to do something. I think that so many people are like paralyzed with all of the woes of the world right now, especially there's so many different tragedies happening all at the same time. And, um, you know, I, I think it's important to, to know about them so that you can act. Um, I think really like our society today is just like paralyzed in a feeling of like, oh, I can't do anything. I can't. And, and that's not really the case. We've seen so many things change based on um, like us standing together and saying this isn't going to happen anymore. It's easy to get wrapped up in that, though, right? Because if you take a macro look at it, you see all these issues, all these huge problems. And you're kind of paralyzed. It's like, how do I address? How do we address this? How do we? take on the breadth of what is happening here and it's like well like i can't i can't change anything so i'm not i'm not gonna try and that's what happens people don't try he is so chill he keeps like putting his head on the table and i'm like oh my god yeah he would love to just like run around on the just table roam. yeah he's a good puppy i think i think it's easy to really get depressed or feel like you can't make a difference um and I think that it takes effort to know how to do something and also to like how to help a community that isn't yours. Um, but I think that there's a lot of folks who are really trying to like they have we have all the solutions, right? <laughs> you just have to like talk to us. We have things that we want done that we want seen. Um, you know, we're working to find these missing and murdered indigenous women and girls. Um, I think that there's a lot of native folks who are, you know, trying to stop human trafficking in our in our lands. Um, and I think that it's easy to like amplify what other folks are saying. And if there's a call to action, you show up like really the work is showing up for each other. Um, if there's a call out for different things, it's really it's really following the advice of people on the ground from this community. And I think that's true of all good social justice work. It's about showing up for each other and amplifying folks who are most impacted, making sure that they are the ones being heard. And I think um even folks who aren't from the community who think that they're like experts in it, it's about not necessarily um, taking all of the opportunities that are offered to you because you're someone who might have more um, means or resources or connections. It's about making sure that people who are directly impacted get those same opportunities and means and resources so that we can all be heard. 
So if somebody goes on to a reservation and commits a crime, is there, how is that handled if they leave the reservation? Like if someone that's not Native American goes on and kills somebody or hurts or sexually assaults someone and then goes back off the reservation, is there any, can tribal police like extradite? Is that a thing? It's considered a federal crime. Like even if you have like weed on a reservation, you now are convicted of a felony crime. Oh, wow. (laughs) So it's different. It's different. I think that tribal police are able to, and it, you know, I'm not the expert on this. (laughs) You're not a secret cop. I'm not a secret cop. Um, (laughs) But that's the thing, right? Is it's hard. I've heard that it's hard getting justice when it's on the res versus off the reservation. It is. It is. It's it's more complicated because it's not like um, it's it's it is a different jurisdiction. You're on tribal land. Tribal cops are involved, and I think that they do their best. And I think that you know, it's it's federal crimes, so the the feds get involved. So well, that's good. I, I wouldn't recommend it to anyone, yes. <laughs> even if you know things are more murky out there. I think that like people. People have watched too many westerns and think that the reservations are like the old wild west, and it's not like that like, at all. Um, if anything, like it, people who have spent time in casinos don't realize even sometimes that they're on reservations, um, and that's surprising to folks. But for the most part, you are. And so your tribe was in Alaska. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And that's where the boarding school was mm-hmm. for your grandpa. Yep. Wow. that's it's just a hard thing right and i mean obviously what what do you do what do you do when you're faced with these challenges and these communities that are having hardships and like you said at the border i mean we're still seeing you know the same mistakes and i wonder if that is a historical thing that people don't look back and say okay we made these mistakes maybe we shouldn't be making them again it would be great if we stopped putting kids in cages. And I think, like, Biden's platform, he was like, I'm going to shut all these down. No. Nope. And you're seeing more deportations than under Trump. Like, absolutely not helping any situations. And those centers are still down there yeah. along the border in Texas. With that, the kids. Yeah, that and never and changed. It's, and it's still just the same amount of heinousness. Like, you know, there's sexual abuses happening to these kids. And the people running these ICE detention camps are saying that they're not in charge of preventing that. And that's absurd. If you're watching kids, you're taking you're, ca- responsible. You, you're responsible for taking care of them. You're responsible for knowing who their parents are, making sure they can contact them. It's really um, frustrating. And I know that a lot of indigenous people feel such a strong connection to that because there are so many other indigenous people south of the border. Like these borders crossed us and we didn't cross them. And so folks are still trying to come into really what is still their homelands and not being able to. And it's, you know you're seeing the same violence perpetrated again and again and again. And I think it's because Americans are so reluctant to to look at history and learn from it. Our history books don't even tell the truth sometimes. I mean, when you are a Native person in a Native community, you hear different truths than what our history books say. Um, and, you know, that's a really hard thing to know a different history than everyone around you truths like regarding the res the creation of the reservations or not even just that like truths about different past presidents who were horrible to native people um you know truths about 
small local things, um, massacres that happen that everyone pretends like didn't happen, you know, here locally. Um, That's what happened out at Woodley Island, right? Yeah. It was a massacre in the middle of the night. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think that there's a lot of, like, intentional massacres that have happened to Native Americans and um, biological warfare was just as prevalent. 90% of my tribe um, was killed by smallpox during a time when there was a vaccine that we weren't given. So it's really... Oh, I didn't know that. It's really been, like, a long history of whose life is worthwhile, whose life are we fighting for. Um, which communities are we seen as deserving of help and which aren't? Does it get frustrating when you look at the challenges that are being presented today and you understand that these are the same challenges that your grandfather faced in a different way? Like the these problems are still here. They're not necessarily evolving. Like we're still we're still tackling these problems. I think that the problems have shifted. Our society's shifted. I think that we still struggle with the consequences um, that live on from the past. I think that the struggle's different. And I think that there is suddenly, for my community, um, where before being Native was something that you were really treated horribly. Like, you see signs that say, like, no Indians and no dogs. Um, and now I think that, that for some reason there's been a societal shift where a lot of folks think that like being native is something cool all of a sudden. Um, Does that and, get frustrating? And that part's frustrating. Yeah. I'm like, why would you have native print not na- made by like native people at like urban outfitters on like underwear and <laughs> instead of like, you know, trying to like learn from and respect native community like all of a sudden it's like a symbol or it's a trend but it's not something that like people are really talking about or like wanting to help native people or even just like understand better where native people are coming from listen to us or um really have these important conversations that hopefully are aren't just eye-opening but i think um it's it's less important that we you know really um understand every minutia of detail and more important that we want to, to help each other yeah the coming together thing is important right it's important yeah i mean we are all it's cliche to say but we're all we're all just people trying to get by at the end of the day that's what life is yep is you're just trying to have a better tomorrow and that's what that's what anybody wants and a better future for the kids, for the kids. and i think um, I think it's frustrating. It, it is frustrating to to have so many stereotypes that you're constantly battling against and working really hard against. Um, but I think it's more frustrating, really, that um, that people aren't aware of the same history as you are, um, and that like people feel like your history should suddenly be about them and their feelings, or people will want to maybe connect on it. Um, in ways that feel dis like not genuine. Um, like I think that when we have these conversations, f- folks will really want to talk about their own family's past and how they had a hard time. And I think it's important to understand each other. Um, and I think also it's often not like the time or place. <laughs> um, I think that like 
folks are so used to um to not ha- having to carry a part of this burden of like collective knowledge and truth that they're like okay well I'll listen to that if you hear my story of my family's journey here and how they struggled too and I think it's you know all valid and maybe not always the helpful to the conversation and like moving forward together um I don't need to know that you are or aren't privileged I don't need to know that you or your family have struggled in xyz ways I just want to know that you know, we are in this together, that my survival um, and your survival are intertwined. I want to know that we are human beings who are working together to make sure that nobody's kids will be in cages. Yeah. I mean, the kids in cages. It's hard, it's hard to swallow. I mean, this whole, the whole thing's hard, right? Especially the kids in cages. That I really thought Biden was going to do something with that. And it's just... But that's the gambit, right? Is you say, oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to check these boxes. I'm going to make these changes. And then four years go by and it's the next person's turn. And it's like, okay, now we're going to now we're gonna make a difference. Now things are going to get better. Life is going to be better for all these people. And it doesn't. And I think it's easy to see how many billions of dollars people are making off of this. It's obscene. Um, I think that it's intentional that nothing really changed. It's intentional. And I think that we're seeing like a lot of really shallow um, gestures. Like I know that Biden announced that he was going to be closing some um, for-profit prisons or state prisons. He he was like, and made a big announcement. And then, you know, people were like, hold on, that means that you're closing four jails or prison. Like it's not the big gesture that you think it is. Um, like, I'm so tired of, like, hollow gestures from politicians that don't add up to anything. Like, re- really, we don't need supportive gestures. Um, it's like a, it's, you're throwing somebody a bone just to appease them. Absolutely. And you're hoping that it buys you more time so you can keep doing whatever dirt you're doing. Yeah, they'll focus on this long enough to where you, you don't have to address any of the real problems. Right. And there's such a general state of apathy that I think is just continued really there's so much apathy so many people are like so downtrodden that they're like well what can i do you know and instead of being like oh man like i'm seeing you know on facebook even like this person saying show up to this rally i'm gonna do it i don't know what i'm gonna you know do when i get there but i'm gonna show up and even just seeing that support makes a big difference or oh i'm gonna share this out with my network i bet they're not hearing about this Um, like today is a national day of remembrance for boarding school survivors and everyone's like you need to wear orange shirts orange shorts and like absolutely it's important to like raise awareness and things like that do help and um i think that folks participation can't end with wearing a different color shirt or like end with even sharing out information it's an important step um to making sure that we're all on the same page but really like how does that help people at the end of the day i mean i think um, I think Native people are really excited to to be heard and to feel like your stories are seen and important. Um, and, you know, it would be great if there was real change that we could also affect. <laughs> what is the change that's being sought right now? Are there like prime things that it's like, okay, we these are the issues that are addressing our community and we want to, we need to fix them. Like these are plaguing us right now. 
There's a lot. I mean, there's a lot of dam removals that Native people are fighting for um, to save salmon. It's a, especially a in the Pacific huge Northwest. Thing here. It's a huge thing. It affects everybody. And Native people have been really leading in this fight um, to save salmon. And we're seeing, you know, water temperatures rise and we're seeing more and more farmed salmon um, that are really destroying our local salmon runs. And it's it's huge. I know that there have been tribal members who have said when there are no more salmon, there's no more of us. Um, you know, that's what their their stories have said for generations. And now it's looking like there's not going to be a lot of salmon unless we really do make concrete actions. So that's a huge one that affects everyone. Um, the murdered and missing indigenous women um, and girls is a huge thing that we are asking for, you know, national attention for. Um there's a case of Gabby who went missing, and in the same area that she went missing, over 710 indigenous women went missing in that same area um, and haven't been found. Jesus. So it's really like the stark contrast. We're not asking for less attention for Gabby. It's vital that everybody gets the same attention, that everybody's putting in the same effort to find these these people. Um, it's, you know, it's also a crisis that affects everybody. Um there's that's the thing is everybody's going missing right it's not one specific group it's it's i mean predominantly women at scale that are just disappearing but not really because somebody's doing something right and then it's just these cold cases persist it's crazy i I read a statistic that i'm going to completely mess up now but it was like you know the number one heart uh the number one you know, killer for men was like heart disease and like the number one killer for women is like men. And it's like, well, that's horrible. And, yeah. you know, um, but it, and I might be like getting the statistic wrong, but it was like really stark. It close. was like, it was like maybe the third down the list or something. And I was like, well, that's really horrifying. <laughs> like, um, and it's, it's real. You know, I, I think that, you know, until women are treated respectfully, <laughs> we're not going to get very far as a country. You know, it's, clear that there's imbalances here that have to be addressed and i know that you know transgender women especially face much higher rates of um violence and murder and i think that that's horrible like there's so much more we could be doing for each other to keep each other safe um like there's a saying like all women know a rapist but no men do (laughs) you know we need we need men to care just as much as women do this is a men's issue it's not a women's issue um, not to say that there aren't women who are horrible also, but really this is a, there are so many issues that I think folks think about, um, in a way that removes them from the solution and we have to all be the solution. I think men, I know men care. I was going to say, I think men care. <laughs> I know men care. I hope men yeah, care. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say, let me preface that. I know men care. Yeah. I think it's just... I was actually talking with a friend about this the other day. If you're not a piece of shit, I think it's hard for you. It's hard for you to grasp the reality that there are people that do that. Like, if you're not a rapist, it's hard to say, okay, like, there are people that go and will rape people. Like, that's that's a hard thing. And where men, men are getting raped, but not. I don't think it's anywhere near the rates that women are getting raped. Like, it's just not on your purview. And yet, you know, so many women that, that experience that. And it's, I don't know how you address that. 
is the problem. I don't know what can be done. You hear this this sentiment going around, especially online, and it's teach your boys to be better. And that kind of bothers me because it's not the boys that are being taught well that are going out and raping people. It's just shitty people that are perpetrating these shitty crimes, right? It's not the kid that isn't a piece of shit. It's the one that is a piece of shit. So how do you address that kid? That's. I think it's a lot more gray area than how you're thinking of it, right? Okay. Like, I don't think it, the world is, like, broken out into, like, monsters. No, and, it's not black and white. You know, I, like, I think that really we have a culture that doesn't um, value consent. And I think it's, you know, ha- teaching folks from a little age, like, oh, like, kiss Uncle Roy, kiss Uncle, you know, like, really telling folks how to how to be um and like not listening to them being like oh no i don't want to kiss uncle roy <laughs> and like you know i think that it's it's everything really i think it's it's not just that it's monsters i think that like you know we don't have a culture where consent is valued as as highly as it could be right like even in um like dating situations like hey is this okay with you like are you comfortable with this like really checking into people like i think that we have a culture where like oh buy him another drink, buy him another drink so that their like consent gets like less and less matter of fact. Um, and I think that that's really ugly. Personally, I think that it's a really ugly cultural value system that enables people to do this and not feel like a monster. But do you think that's a majority of people doing that? Or you think it's a minority? They're just what, what, prolific, I, I guess. I don't know a woman well who hasn't been raped all of the women that i know well share stories of that so god damn that's it's it's not to say that i want to be like oh all xyz or oh all but i i do say like even women that i don't know well share these stories with each other often and it's being talked about more and more um i it sounds weird but seeing in the news um you know like Olympic national gymnasts really talking about this so openly um, had made me feel as a survivor like I was so seen and more powerful and less shameful about things that I can't control. Um, I don't know like a woman who's not taught to do 50 things to keep themselves safe every day, right? Like always be on your guard, always carry your keys like this or always, you know, park here so that it's harder to get kidnapped and um, I, I know that men don't get taught the same level of awareness. And I think that it's something that we should talk more about. It's not like, oh, it's just this group of people who are pieces of shit or, or anything like that. I think it's more, um, like we as a society could do better at holding everyone accountable. Um, like I think as a bartender, when I was bartending, like I saw so many instances where I was like, I'm going to take off early and walk this girl home and or like, you know, really putting myself in the middle of harmful situations because I'm like, this isn't going to end well. Um, somebody needs to look out for folks. Um, somebody needs to help walk people home sometimes. Um, like I was roofied at a bar once and I immediately knew what it was because it wasn't the first time. And I grabbed my friend and I was like, we got to go now. 
Um, and I remember like leaving that place and like puking and like trying to get us home safely, like and quickly. And the next day, my friend was like, I don't know what happened. I just got drunker and drunker and drunker all night. And I was like, I think that's Rufy. And she was like, oh, it couldn't been. They were all so nice there. And we were talking and she'd been roofied seven times already. So I think that it's not like uh, even an issue of like, oh, what's the minority or majority? It's, it's an issue of like, this is so much more prevalent for everyone that I know. Um, and it's something that isn't talked about because it's hard to talk about. And I think it's really easy for especially men to be like, oh, it's just bad guys. But I think it's it's so much more than that. Um, I think it's like really an embedded part of our culture that we have to address together and talk about more and um, really like remove shame around it. Because why why should you be ashamed of something that you had no control over? That doesn't make any sense. Why should that choose like change your value as a human being? <laughs> you had no control over it. That's something completely outside of who you are. So it's, you know, like this traumatizing experience that, you know, a lot of folks um are living through and surviving. And then I think like focus is like, oh, I don't wanna like we don't wanna ruin his life. We're not gonna press charges on him. And, you know, it's a conversation that really easily is again whose life are we valuing here whose life are we putting more weight on whose life are we really paying attention to and at whose expense yeah the accountability scale is not it's not in the right place for sure that hearing you talk about that i mean what else do you say other than it's fucked up like, but how do you how do you address that i mean not it's fucked up and like that's the end of the conversation like it's fucked up how do we how do we change because that's someone who would not roofie anybody or like even <laughs> think about that yeah. like i'm sitting here and i just i don't understand what would possess somebody to do that and then how how you stop that because to me that's a shitty person obviously and it's like okay how do we prevent people from getting there or stopping them when they're at that point I think what are the steps that you would take I think it's like everybody looking out for each other more like if you see someone who's really drunk or acting funny and like this guy's like oh this is my sister or this is my girlfriend and take her home stopping and be like can you show me a picture of you two together like it can be so easy to do and I think people are so hesitant to put themselves in like awkward positions that um, like we choose our own comfort over other people's safety. Um, and so I think it's, it's not that hard to be like, oh, this is your girlfriend, sister. Can I see a picture of you guys just to be, you know, she doesn't look all right. I want to make sure that she's safe. And I think that if that is truly their girlfriend or sister, they'll be happy to show you a picture of them together. Um, I think that there's so many ways where you can be like, hey, like this girl who is completely fine five minutes ago, all of a sudden isn't like, you know, can we get her a cab home? Can we, you know, is someone here who's like female who can drive her home? I think that it's really like we spend so much time looking out for each other. But I think Americans especially are really hesitant to put themselves in the middle of like conflict. And I think that's how so many people don't end up being safe um and it's not that hard to really like look after each other um or if you see this guy like consistently bothering women around you saying like hey 
you're clearly bothering them. Please leave them alone. They've already said no three times. Like, what more do they really have to do? Like, it's truly a matter of standing up for each other to keep each other safe. And it's, you know, easy to talk about in bar culture. And I think it's a little bit harder to talk about in, like, everyday life. Um, I think that there's, like, so many instances of, like, date rape and different things like that where um, it's really not like, oh, it's monsters out here doing it. It's really like this is happening so often to women. It can't just be a few bad people. It can't be. Um, and I think like when guys are talking about it with each other, when there's no women around, there's more accountability and creating a culture where that's not okay. Creating a culture where it's talked about more than by women and like hush voices talking about things that have happened to them. It has to be more of a culture of like, hey, um, what are we going to do? How are we keeping each other safe? Like, hey, I saw that. It's not cool. Like making sure that it's on small scales, um, making big impacts. Part of me thinks it's like a circle thing because I think the guys that are doing that aren't hanging around the guys that would not allow that necessarily, right? So if a guy's roofing girls or getting girls plastered, He's not hanging around people that would say, hey, what, what are we doing here? This is not, this is not okay. So I think it takes that accountability out of it, right? Because if you're with a crowd that is egging you on or supporting what you're doing, where, where's the accountability in that? Maybe, but. Um, I mean, I'm just, I'm, I'm just trying to think in my own, yeah. so obviously I, I'm f happy to say that I don't associate with people that would do that. So I'm trying to figure out how you would. I mean, obviously, intervention's a big thing, right? That's a that's a hard part for people to grasp, especially if it's a couple arguing, or you think it's a couple arguing. You don't want to go up and say, "Hey, is everything okay?" Because you don't want to. There's this weird stigma about inserting yourself in somebody else's relationship, and I think you're right. I think doing that is important. It is a weird stigma. I think people are like quicker to like call the cops than like to be like, "Hey, something doesn't sound right." And I think also like. Um, you know, if you're the person saying like, hey, are you guys okay? Then sometimes it'll be like, yes, and, you know, and like get like, oh, upset with you. Yeah. But also it's important, I think, for people in unhealthy situations to realize that it doesn't look healthy from the outside, right? Um, I think that validation of like, hey, this is something obviously not normal or healthy is important for folks to hear um, because so it's not. Um, and I think that like, especially folks in like abusive situations have been, um, taught that that's okay. They're being conditioned to say like, oh, this is normal. This is, you know, that's part of grooming really is like changing someone's reality, um, into which one where they can be abused more. Um, like you're slowly shifting what their, what their boundaries are and what they'll put up with. And so you said you've been roofied multiple times. Twice, yeah. Does that scare the fuck out of you? Does that make you not want to go out? I mean, I would be, I wouldn't want to go out to a bar. I wouldn't trust anybody. I mean, I was a bartender for six years. So I think that gave me a um, sense of safety um, because I was the one pouring drinks. I was the one in control. I was able to like help women get home. I felt a lot of confidence around that. And yeah, I would really only go to bars where I knew the bartenders or I knew that they'd look after me where if I, you know, if, if someone was bothering me, 
they would make They'd them leave. Yeah. And like, I can't tell you the number of times that like someone walked me home because there was a random person following me or someone, you know, made sure I got on the subway or made someone like leave who was very clearly, you know, drunk and, you know, obnoxious or, um, so I think in a lot of ways, um, like, yeah, I get scared sometimes to buy groceries at night. Um, and, it's not like a great reality and I can't let fear stop me from living a life. So I think it's a matter of like being safe and it's a matter of like needing to also live. (laughs) And, um, it's, I don't really go out to bars anymore. Um, but I also think that it's a whole culture that I don't want to buy into. Well, you shouldn't have to be afraid to go out to a bar, right? Well, no one should, and you do. Like I think, like it when when people when women especially um, have bad experiences, people are so quick to be like, "What were you wearing? Oh, did you lead X Y Z?" Like people are just so horrible that it's like your own fault if you get hurt. Instead of saying like, "Oh no, it's this guy," <laughs> you know, who really took advantage of someone. And I think like the blame is incorrectly placed a lot of times. And I think it's a part of like shifting culture to be like, that's never okay. Like that's never okay. Um, it's always, you know, the person who's doing its fault. Um, so I think it's, it's a matter of talking about it more and being more open about it and like making sure that we're taking care of each other as human beings. A lot of people don't like to have the conversation though. It's It's a hard conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, and I think that our culture teaches us to be ashamed or it teaches us to like bottle it up or it says nobody you know is doing this. And like, you know, if you have a hundred guy friends, probably someone is <laughs> like, I think it's, I think, you know, and to a certain extent, you're probably right that different circles of people, you know, stay together. And I think that maybe there's a, a piece of that that's really like naive to think that like none of your friends could possibly do this. Like, there's no way that all of the women that I'm close with in my life have experienced that and none of the guys, you know, have not done that, right? And I'm not saying that as a, um, like, criticism of your guy friends. I'm saying that as, like, a that doesn't make sense. <laughs> well, I think you try to culminate good people around you, obviously. And you never, the problem is you never really know what somebody's capable of until they're in a situation like that. You like to think you know people, but... You don't. Yeah, you don't know what people are really like in their home life. Really. You never really know what happens in people's home life. You know the side of, of them that they choose to show you. Um, and people, you know, change too. You know, we have experiences that mold us and shape us. And so, you know, even though you thought you might know someone really well, I think it's really vital to, like, believe women um, if they do tell you XYZ. Well, I'm definitely, you know, I think, <laughs> I think you should definitely believe the victim 100%. I think the believe all women thing can get dicey, not to take away from survivors or anything like that, but so, this is, this is touchy. We're going to get to some even more, an even more touchy subject, but some people do lie, unfortunately. Not taking away from the belief, all women, you should believe the victim. You should believe the person that comes forward and says, hey, this happened to me. And you should find all the evidence and see everything through. And if somebody 
does something, they, they, there should be repercussions for that. You shouldn't just get off scot-free for roofing somebody or sexually assaulting someone. Like, there have to be consequences, otherwise the actions just go unpunished, and then nothing ever changes. But things, it's just such a weird time. And there are, from a guy, I can only speak from a guy's perspective, right? I've heard stories from guys, and who knows, maybe they fed me a line of shit and I bought it because I want to believe people are good people. But I've heard stories of guys who have gone out with a woman or something happened and then, you know, things happen and they say, oh, not necessarily, oh, yeah, I was raped, but oh, they, I was sexually assaulted or something when it, the sex was consensual or things like that. And it's just a dicey subject because you want, when someone comes forward and says, hey, this happened to me, you should believe them because why lie about that? But some people do lie. And I think that's where it gets dicey for people is because then they fall into this camp of, oh, we have to believe everyone or, oh, we shouldn't believe anyone. And then it just creates this divide between people. I did. I feel like I did not do that justice at all. I'm over here because it's, I'm getting uncomfortable right now talking about it because people don't talk about it. So then when you try to talk about it, you're like getting all flustered to try to make a point, but you don't want to step on somebody's toes, but then you don't have the real conversation behind it. I will say that. Um, please do. Please say, because I, you've got a thought going. I can I can see it. Because this is something that I'm not like shy about. It's something that I've that's talked great. about a lot. And um, I've only heard that expressed from other guys, for the record. <laughs> that's think, not an opinion from... It's just from guys. I've only that. heard guys say that. Um, and I think that that's a really interesting... Um, that's a really interesting perspective. Um from people who don't experience this kind of trauma at the same rates um, or as often. So something that's like been a part of, um, you know, what's shaped me to be the person that I am. Um, it's really interesting to hear like another person who's never, you know, experienced it and being like, well, sometimes people lie though. And you're like, yeah. okay, but how does this conversation turn from like, oh man, like every, every woman that I know has had a story about this to being like, some women are lying though, right? <laughs> like, no, yeah. You know, because that's, um, it's, it's a bit disheartening. And, and it think... probably gets, I mean, me saying it, obviously that's the first time I've said that to you, but if this isn't the first time you've heard it and you have to keep explaining, I could see that getting almost jading you in a way. Cause it's like, okay, I've heard this from 30 other guys. What? Whereas for me, it's a fresh conversation. Yeah. I feel like hearing that, um, I feel like that's the reason why a lot of women don't tell guys. It's because they say that. Yeah, it's because the conversation turns um, into one that focuses on, like, men's victimization instead of, like, real traumas that are happening daily to women. Um, And I think that's a really interesting shift from what the problem is to, like, a side conversation that doesn't add value um, to like solution creation and instead absolves men from doing the work of like talking to each other and creating solutions in order for our society to have safer women we need accountable men and men who want to um, be proactive and I think a guy's worst case scenario of like being accused of that is nothing like a, a woman's worst case scenario of that happening to her And for some reason, the value 
of the it turns into like oh well we need to be thinking about men here we need to be thinking about like um their worst case scenario and we need to focus on that instead of like oh man like this is happening on a crazy scale to women what are we doing to be a part of that solution um and i think that that's uh a bummer that's a good point because i'm you know i'm sad to say this but i know a ton of women who have experienced some form of sexual assault and obviously i believe i believe all of them and in saying that somebody's doing that somebody is doing that so like so i don't want to take away from that because that is a it's a real thing and it's a real problem but as a guy i think maybe that's it because as a guy i'm thinking in terms of like what what is affecting me almost not like a bad way but that's i'm a guy so my first instinct is okay how do i fit into this piece and since i'm not someone that's gonna rape somebody or sexually assault someone i'm on the receiving end of oh what if someone accused me and i think a good a good example of that is what happened with biden right where he was accused maybe this isn't a good example but i'm gonna roll with it for a second he was accused and this pissed me off so maybe i'm just bringing this up because i'm still heated about it but he was accused of sexual assault right and i think that's a big deal i think that should have been looked into and if it did happen something needs to be done about that and kamala harris agreed with it she was like if believe all women this happened and then as soon as she gets put on the vp ticket oh no i believe joe and it didn't happen and you know I was just, we were just debating. That's why I threw that out there. But when you joke about things like that, it diminishes the subject matter. So then it's, okay, did it happen? Did it not happen? It doesn't really matter because it's in the past. But as a guy, if someone accuses you of sexual assault, your life's over. Your life is over. And rightfully so, because if you did do it, your life should be more than over. You should be facing consequences. But if you didn't do it, that's, I mean, he, I, I'm struggling now because I get what you're saying. And in saying what I'm saying, I'm kind of struggling with my ideas because I don't want to take away from your experience or other people's experiences that have been through it. And I haven't. I've never been, nobody's ever roofied me. I've never been sexually assaulted. Like I haven't had a firsthand experience. I'm only speaking as, as a bystander in a way. But that's a real thing. Like that fear... And I've talked to other guys about it, and that's guys that don't perpetrate it have the fear of being accused, which maybe they shouldn't, because if you're not doing it, why be afraid of it? I don't know. It's just a, it's a hard, it's a hard conversation to have. And people get uncomfortable because nobody's having the conversation. So when you finally bring it up, everybody cowers or they they don't say how they really feel and nobody nothing ever changes because you're not actually talking about the problem i mean right it's a shitty thing <laughs> i'm over here just i'm i'm trying to work through my ideas now because if you get accused and you didn't do it it fucking sucks like that's shitty and that shouldn't happen but if you get accused and you did do it even if you don't get accused and you did it that fucking sucks and something should be done about that statistics are like 99% of reported cases like cases of rape don't get to even like trial. There's no conviction. Is that the shame? That it's, stigma of shame that's keeping people from coming forward? I mean, I think it's part of that. I think 
like our justice system um, doesn't do a lot of justice to victims in my experience. Um, I think, you know, like it's stacked against you entirely. There's this woman who was studying um, perpetrators and she said that um, there was a case of this guy who was accused of it widely known and like, you know, the college that it happened at, like, helped him really cover it up. They gave her the wrong, you know, reports to file against him. He used it as, like, a, um, as a, something to bring up on first dates, um, where he's, like, building trust with women by saying, like, oh, this, I was accused of this, but it didn't happen, you know, like, it, so, you know, I think that, you know, I wonder if, a conversation about like women's you know real struggles always being a conversation of like could it happen what if a woman is lying you know like if there's any like the shade that's really thrown on women and to discredit them is one that consistently happens and makes it so that women don't come forward um in my experience like w one of the times that it happened to me um all of the like girls in my high school knew that this person was doing that and never said anything um, and I think that that's partially like high schoolers, you know, um, we're taught shame, we're dealing with trauma, we're like really struggling on their own. Um, but also that enabled this guy to continue doing it to other people. So, um, so I think that really, like the fear of not being believed, um, is there because women aren't believed. And I think that um, a conversation about rape that is always centered around, like, men's worst fears isn't entirely productive um, when talking about it. Now that I've calmed down, I've thought of a, of a, <laughs> of a prime example. Now that I've caught my composure a little bit. Brock Turner, right? Oh, yeah. Piece of shit. Yeah. And he got, what was it, two years? I don't even think and that. And there was evidence. There was, it checked all the boxes. It was proven that he did what he did. It was on tape. It was yeah. on tape. And he gets two years. If he got two years. It was something short, like two years. I think he got out early for good behavior, too. <laughs> and that's got to be a slap in the face to everyone that's ever gone through it. Because you see something that checked all the boxes. There was proof. There was there was no way to dispute it. And then the verdict comes down and this is what it is. It's not. It's a, It's a slap on the wrist. For something that can't be taken back. For something that inevitably changed that girl's life forever. And so you get that. And as a compassionate human being, you sit there and you think, what What are we doing? How does How is that justice? How does that solve anything? How does that address the problem? And so I get, it would just be frustrating. And so I feel like that deters people. I could see that deterring people from coming forward because here was this case where Everything was everything was lined up in the most beneficial way that it could have been for her to get justice, and there was no justice. I mean, justice is um, a hard thing to get, and um, I wonder, you know, what she would say about that. I wonder if... Um, what is truly just is, you know, these situations not happening. <laughs> um, and if... That would be ideal. You know, yeah. I wonder, you know, what um, 
you know, what we could do to maybe like not look at the most publicized things, but as a society to look out for each other. Yeah, that's just one that caught the media's attention, right? How yeah. many how many other women are out there? I mean, I know a ton. That it, it just this is something that happened and that's all that it is. Yeah. That's that's a problem. That's a problem. And there was this other college student and this I I think this is where the fear comes from as a guy who's not not to toot my own horn but who's not a piece of shit like in that way at least there was a guy I want to say Arizona State who went out to this bar and met up with this girl and they were flirting they were you know talking decided to go back to her place and something happened and I think she said that he sexually assaulted her and it came out on, there was footage, there were text messages that he didn't. And his life, I think the school kicked him out and he lost his scholarship. And he was like, I didn't do anything. Like she was the aggressor. All this stuff happened. But then she, I'm trying to remember the case because I'm not doing it justice. But that is a case where somebody said something that wasn't true. And here I go again, I'm backtracking on, but that does, unfortunately, even if it's 1%, that does happen. And so how do you, maybe I'm asking more for advice, how do you balance that? How do you address the need to believe all victims, which you should? Anyone that comes forward and says, hey, this happened to me, you should give them the benefit of the doubt and do due diligence and look at the case. And if something happened, address it and actually have justice come forward. But if something, if somebody says this happened and it didn't happen, what do you do in that situation? How do you handle that? Because that's sticky. It's a sticky situation. I don't know. Um, I don't know how you would handle that. I. I don't. And it's hard. I don't pretend to be. You know, like no, someone I'm, that I know. Has I'm more all of the mulling, answers. I'm more and mulling I, over it. And I also think, like, you know, what you're talking about. You're like, oh yeah, we're gonna do diligence and figure out, you know, what happened. Like that's the role of like cops hopefully to be doing that um not like individuals well no that's what i'm saying is police because a lot of times they don't right they say oh that what were you wearing thing that is so fucking stupid well even like you know lots of rape kits aren't tested every year so i think really it's a breakdown of the criminal justice system and that is the place where they're supposed to you know figure out if someone um you know if the case has validity or not and it falls short a lot of the times yeah statistically it does fall short that seems like a good a good place to start but how do you change that how do you get i don't is it just you're almost trying to break down a culture of of something that is not ingrained but that has been prevalent and now you're trying to pump the brakes on it and say okay this this isn't okay it wasn't okay back then even though it was swept under the rug and just not looked at we need to do something about it because it's it's sickening and it's 
it's one of those problems that is so big, it's easy to say, well, we can't, we can't change anything. So what do we do? We just, you just hope that it doesn't happen to anybody, you know, but that doesn't solve anything because it's out there happening. Yeah, I think um, it's a big issue, and I think it's one that we can, you know, actively work on together. Um, I think it really is, like, looking out for each other. I think it really is, you know, looking out for strangers. It's, you know, you're not always going to be in a situation where you know everybody, but making sure that women are safe should be a priority. Um, And checking in if you see something going on, like you said. Yeah. I think that's a great place to start. Yeah. Just saying, hey, is everything okay here we're all good i've done that a couple times where you just check in and say hey you know are you okay you look you look a little drunk is everything going good and that's important but you're not you're not always there unfortunately do you think it's that has to do with how people are raised that breeds that culture or it's just because society it's still just not addressed isn't the right word but it's not it's not given the gravity that it deserves i think it's um cuz i mean if this is happening to 5% of women nationwide that's a big portion and it's got to be statistically way more than that but i don't hear any i don't hear biden talking about that or any congress people talking about that saying okay we need to do something to address this problem because it's a big problem there's a lot of studies that, you know, come out that show how many women this affects, you know, from school age kids to adults. There doesn't seem to be like a lot of task forces addressing it, you know. Um, and I think that it's something that really like we see in the media being um, like made light of, or maybe that's sometimes the only place that talks about it. I think um, like... I don't want to say it's like how people were raised, but I, cause I, you know, that's not necessarily my place, but I think it's obvious that we have a culture that does not value consent. And I think having more value on consent culture from, you know, kids to adults is a part of the solution and focusing on like, you know, learning and respecting each other's boundaries is a big part of the solution. Yeah. I mean, we, you have to start somewhere. You have to start somewhere. Because otherwise, I mean, I don't want my kids to have to talk, you know, have these talks. And you do hear there are different talks that men and women get, right, when they go out. Like, my, my mom told me, you know, watch your drink. But it was never the same pressure that... I interpreted from hearing other people talk about it. Like I never had to worry about holding my keys in between my knuckles or parking under a street lamp so that my car is lit up or getting in and locking my car right away so that nothing, nothing happens. There's just different, different, like I never had to work. There were some areas in college where you wouldn't walk down by yourself because it's, a rough area but it was you know you might get jumped or like there's you might get robbed or something it was never there was never any fear of oh someone taking you or whether that was warranted or not 
that just wasn't on your radar as, as a guy. I mean, I walked, I would walk all over, you know, by myself at night on campus, anything. And it wouldn't be, it was never a thought in the back of your head of, okay, I should be on guard. And maybe that's because I was younger and I was more oblivious and didn't have a care in the world. But I had friends who would say, oh no, we're always, I don't go anywhere by myself. Yeah. I think, you know, in my experience, I, I never had someone like jump out at me and like, that's how I was ever like harmed. Like really it was normal people. And most of the time, statistically, it's your, it's someone, you know, know, right? Charismatic people, people, um, you know, who were well-liked or popular or like people who really seemed like they had a lot going for them. It wasn't like, you know, some monster in a cape, like jumping out or anything. And I think that's the hard part of like realizing as a woman, like, um, that you aren't always safe. It's because it's, it's a realization that like, it's, it's not monsters or it's not like the bad guys on TV and like they're, you know, obviously bad guys um, who only dress in dark trench coats. And, you know, Like people like to brand it as. Yeah, it's normal people who have friends who have, you know, come from good families who it's it, it could be really, you know, anyone. And I think that's hard. I think it makes it hard to trust people. And I think it's a fear that, that a lot of women have. Um, they're hesitant to trust. And I think that's a learned behavior. And it's justifiable. That's the problem. Is it's not like it's unwarranted fear or caution. It's like, no, that's, it's, it's, it's a healthy caution. It is. And it's, you know, like if your bartender is making a drink and they're not making it up on the table, you know, if they make it over here, then all of a sudden you can't drink it. Or if it's, you can't leave your drink unattended and it's, you know, Sometimes, like, you can't go to the bathroom by yourself. Like, people make fun of women for going to the bathroom by themselves. They're staying safe. Uh, And it's sad that that, you know, has to be a safety mechanism. But, like, everything that you do is is for safety, you know. And that's, it's a sad reality. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I... And it's perpetrated more, even more so, to Native American women. Statistically, yes. Is that talked about even more so in those communities? Like, on top of the caution of just being a woman and just being vigilant, are there extra precautions of, okay, yes, you're a woman, and but you also are more targeted now? I think it's talked about a lot more. Um it's not a cultural taboo to talk about it's something that we have rallies about that we you know see a lot of community involvement around and i think that's um and i think that there's a lot of work to prevent that from happening so i think that in some ways um work to prevent you guys from rallying work to prevent us from going murdered or missing or you know work to prevent us from being harmed i think that there's um I think that there's a lot being done, not to say that, like, we have all of the solutions necessarily, but I think that, like, our community cares a lot and shows up for each other a lot. That's 90% of it, is having a support system and having a group of people watching out and saying, we're being, I think, I don't know the story, but something just happened at EHS and they staged a walkout for sexual assault. And I think our 
Fortuna maybe joined in. A few schools joined in here locally, and I thought that was kind of cool to see. I mean, we never had that when I went there, I think. Yeah. I think that younger generations are have a much healthier outlook on it and are, you know, hopefully able to really help change these tides of um, of what we're doing to, to keep each other safe. I hope so. I mean, I would like to see some change in our generation. That would be nice on all of these fronts. Cause it gets a little, I'm, I'm only 23, but I'm already sick of, of people making these promises and nothing, nothing changing. It gets a little frustrating watching that play out. I mean, especially with all this, even with all this COVID stuff, just the back, nobody wants to admit fault. Nobody wants to say, we're just trying to figure things out. Nobody's being honest. It's all this, this smoke and mirrors and, and people making these moves behind the scenes and then expecting people to just go along with everything. What do you mean? I think, well, I don't know if you've been following along with the whole Fauci emails thing and the gain-of-function research. No. Dr. Fauci? Yeah. I don't know what emails you're referring to. So, he has been adamant when speaking before, I think it was before Congress, about how the NIH and everything has not been involved in any gain-of-function research and especially regarding the lab leak hypothesis, which has been floated around, that they were not involved, that he has not funded any gain-of-function research. And then it's come out in his emails that they have funded gain-of-function research. And through the NIH, they have actually provided funding to the Wuhan laboratory in China. So everything he said that didn't happen kind of happened, and people were like, okay, what what is this? But nobody wants to talk about it. And I'm not going to do, I'm not doing that story justice either. But the only reason people know about it is because his emails were leaked. And they were talking about it. You didn't hear about this. I didn't hear anything about it. it Nothing sounds, about the emails or it anything? It sounds a little bit like a oh. conspiracy theory. It does. That's the problem, right? It's because you bring it up and you're like, oh, this is a little <laughs> dicey. But it's a real, his emails are out there. It's a real thing. But nobody's talking about it. It sounds conspiratorial, right? If I like, if I feel like we should be in a back room somewhere, and I'd be like, "Let me tell you some shit about Fauci's emails." But it's a thing. I, Check I will, it out. It's I a will. thing. I mean, maybe I'm I'm off basis because I've only I've only watched a couple clips, and it was a while when this first started coming out. Um, but yeah, a so, lot of the so things. Like what you're implying is that like Dr. Fauci had a part to do with this virus being created. No, no, no. I don't think he helped it be created. But the gain-of-function research, which is the research that is along the same lines of what they think COVID was started off of, if you follow the lab leak thing, it's... I'm not going to do this justice. It's messing with these viruses in a way to see how they react so that if one were to present itself, that we would be prepared. So it's research against viruses by manipulating these viruses. And he has been adamant that the NIH has not funded or done any research along those lines because Obama, when he was president, outlawed that line of research. And what has been coming forward now is that while Trump was in office, because it was so hectic and it was such a shit show, that this gain-of-function research was actually started back up under Fauci. 
and funding was provided to these other research labs and all this stuff. And so when he went before Congress and tested, no, there was no gain of function research. We have not provided funding. We have not been a part of it. In his emails, he was addressing, oh, like, that's the research we've been doing was gain of function research. And oh, we did provide lab. We did provide funding to the Wuhan laboratory. And it's funny in the emails, this is going to sound even more conspiratorial in the emails. They actually were talking about how, you know, this, this is going to sound so conspiratorial. The virus doesn't line up with a virus that you would see from the wild. It looked like it'd been manipulated but he goes in front of the public and says, no, there's no way this came from the lab. There's no evidence of that. This is a virus from the bats. It's not man-made. It hasn't been touched. But behind the scenes, him and his colleagues were saying, okay, this looks a little fishy. Maybe maybe this came from somewhere. Not acknowledging that it came from the lab or saying that it didn't in the emails, but to the public. There's just a lot of smoke and mirrors. And that's why saying this, I feel like we should be on some conspiracy thing, which is why it's a good thing it's a podcast because we could be. But... There's all this backroom stuff. I'm surprised you haven't heard about the emails at least. I thought that was out there, but maybe not. Maybe I'm in a different crowd. <laughs> I feel like maybe you're looking for this. Yeah, maybe I need to check, yeah, need to check my sources. But that's a that's a thing. If if that's all true. I mean, if that was true, there would be the, tons of, you know, studies you would think, and you would think people would be talking about it. Do you believe in the lab leak thing? Do you think it came from a lab? I, this is the first I'm hearing about Of even it. the lab thing? Yeah. Whoa! Whoa! Either I'm in some deep conspiracies or you're a little sheltered. I mean, I regularly read what the CDC is putting out. This is the first time you've heard that there's a theory that it came from the Wuhan lab. That yeah. It was, wow. Oh my god. This is my biggest problem with the news today. If we can't even agree on facts, whether this is a fact or not a fact, take anything. If we can't agree on basic, if like QAnon, that QAnon's not, you, do you know about QAnon? I do. Do you believe in QAnon? Do I believe in it? Yeah, do you think that's a real thing? That, that they're like a group of people? No, no, there's definitely a group of people. There's, there's definitely a group of yeah, people. Yeah, <laughs> that there's some guy Q releasing these things and there's, you know, kids being kept under, under pizza places. I don't think I've heard about that. Okay, well, QAnon. Do you think there's a guy that's releasing that information and that the QAnon conspiracy is real? I mean, I know that there's a QAnon group of people. Yes. That's like the extent of my... And I I was under the impression that they weren't like completely normal human beings. Okay. And that was like the extent of my knowledge. Yes. Well, they believe in some things that I would say are a little out there. But that is there. To them, that's factual information, the stuff they're going off of. And to me, maybe that's not factual information. And so my problem with the news and everything today, it, we all have different facts. And if we can't agree on what a, what a fact and what isn't a fact, how do we come to the table and have a, an actual conversation? Because if you think the sky's blue and I say, oh, no, the sky's red. How are we going to have an actual conversation? Where do we go from there? I mean, the news is kind of like skewed presented to you because it's based off of what your search history is so the more that you're looking for something the more you're going to see something well yes online but even cnn or fox news if you watch cnn for 30 minutes you're going to have a completely different worldview than if you watch fox news for 30 minutes yeah how do we so if you're only consuming news from one medium how are you how do you come to the table and have an actual conversation with anyone 
because you've got this whole set of facts and you're thinking this way and I come over here and I've got all this and we try to come together and it's like, what are you're crazy. You're a conspiracy theorist. And then you're looking at me the same way and it's like, where, where do we go? What is going to happen? I'm, I'm basically at this stage in my life where I think the whole world's going to fall apart, but I'm interested to see what happens. I think that's my, that's my MO. It might fall apart. It feels like it. I, I mean, I do follow the news pretty regularly and I haven't heard, heard those things. Okay. Check into the, check into the emails. Cause I know I can at least say for certain that Fauci's emails have been leaked. Let me ask you, what does that change? Well, if it, well, if there was gain of function research and Fauci knew about it and has provided funding and has been conducting it and lied to Congress and lied to the American people. I think that's important. I think that's a problem. If that all is true, absolutely important. Um, But what does it change for you? Like in this pandemic, like what would that change for you in your reality and day-to-day life? My, it would confirm the fact that I believe this pandemic is politicized and that people aren't necessarily completely dealing in facts. We're dealing more in, in public opinion and, and sway of, of public desire. And it would confirm the fact that I believe there's not accountability at that level. If Fauci came out and lied, which he did, let's, let's take a step back and look at the mask thing. When he first came out and said, oh, masks don't work. You don't need masks. And then he turned around and said, oh, actually, masks do work. Everybody needs a mask. You should go out and get one. You can't lie to people because then you create what we're in now where half the population thinks masks don't work and half think masks do work and they're at each other's throats about it because we're creating this divide between people because you weren't honest up front. I'm a big honesty guy. That's I mean, my biggest thing. I think that there's that honesty is vital. And yeah. in science, things do change based on research. And I think that doesn't mean that someone's like necessarily lying. But if you have new research that comes out, it's important to... You know, like science is is always a practice of discovery. Absolutely. Which is what I would say if he hadn't come out and said, oh, I said masks don't work so that people wouldn't go out and buy masks because we didn't want, you know, our frontline workers in our healthcare system not having the PPE that they needed. Then it's like, okay, well, you lied. (laughs) You lied. I get it was for this reason. You know, you wanted to save masks, which is good, obviously. But you could have come out and said, hey... Mass work. Everyone should get a mask when they can. But we also don't want to overrun the system. We need our frontline workers to have masks so that they're protected. Because if somebody gets sick and they get them sick, then we're going to have real problems. Why not just come out and say that? Why go... Why lie to people and then backtrack? That creates a problem. I mean... And then you've got people over here like me who are sitting on podcasts talking about Fauci emails. And it's like, is that a conspiracy or is this... Is this true? I've not heard that. And and I, you know, I think that no one in the CDC or government should ever be lying to us. And we also see statistics, statistics that like one in 500 Americans have died from COVID. So obviously the pandemic, whether government has misled us on something, which I mean, you know. Yeah, You're talking I, to would not be, yeah, would not be out of the realm <laughs> but, of possibility. But I also think truly like, we're in the middle of a pandemic. I don't really care. Like, I really want to make sure that we're all safe. Like, mm-hmm. I would love to see my family and everyone stay safe through this. Like, I hope everyone 
stays safe. I hope everyone gets vaccinated. Like, I really hope that we all make it out of here because one in 500 people is a tremendous number of human beings dying. And it's, you know, we don't need to be dying. Like, studies have shown that if you get vaccinated, you're much less likely to die. I don't know why everyone isn't, you know, focusing on that. How do you feel about the vaccine mandate requirements? I personally don't mind. Like, I do hope everyone gets vaccinated. I got vaccinated as soon as I could. Um, And I think, really, like, in America, we have had to get vaccinated against so many things to go to public school to do, you know, anything. So most Americans do go to public school. Most Americans have been vaccinated against so many different diseases. That's why we don't have smallpox or polio anymore, like, really. Um, So I'm not sure why there's, like, such a contention around getting this vaccine like we know it saves lives we know you're most likely less likely to be like you know on your deathbed because of covid and it's a real issue that we're seeing out here so i don't know why people aren't taking it more seriously and i don't really get the horse pills thing ivermectin i don't get it you want to put on a tinfoil hat for a second (laughs) (laughs) ivermectin okay we're gonna this is gonna uh, we're gonna get pulled off youtube but this is so gonna be worth it ivermectin is you know an antiviral that has been used on humans before that has been proven effective against a ton of different viruses it's one it's won some award i want to sound like i don't know some some prestigious award because it was so important that people found it and it actually there is some evidence there definitely needs to be more research there is some evidence that it is a good preventative tool against COVID that it has helped people. There are doctors that have prescribed it and seen benefit, but nobody wants to talk about that because it's got the, it's the horse dewormer. That's been the branding everywhere. It's, it's, it's a horse dewormer. There was a Rolling Stones article. I talked about this before by the Rolling Stones that there was a hospital somewhere that was overrun with people who had taken the horse dewormer and they were taking beds from gunshot victims the rolling stones published this everything seemed fine lo and behold it was completely not true there were the hospital a hospital from that area came forward and said uh this is not happening we have not had any patients come in with any illness from ivermectin we have not turned down any gunshot victims we have not not given beds to any gunshot victims the person that spoke to the Rolling Stones and gave the interview hasn't worked at a hospital in like five years. They were a doctor or a nurse or something. Um, completely false. And all the Rolling Stones did was put up a disclaimer at the top. Oh, this hasn't been fact checked. And that's where I go back to. That's where I feel conspiratorial because it's like I go back to if we can't agree on facts and actually check information. You're going to have people out here sitting around believing wild things. And ivermectin. If that works, if it is true, if it is true that it does help against COVID and we're not using it, that's crazy. And if there are articles coming out saying, oh, it is useful, but it's not, that is also crazy. We can't agree on facts. But from what, from the little research that I've done, doctors are prescribing it and seeing success. I think it's Japan. I want to say Japan is actually allowing doctors to prescribe it because they're seeing great success with it. I think Mexico used it as a preventative and saw great success as like countrywide. 
And yet here, it's just branded as a horse dewormer. And if you talk about using it, oh, you're a conspiracy theorist, or oh, you're a crackhead who's buying horse dewormer from the local horse market, or the horse store, or whatever it is, you get that branding, and then it's it shuts down the conversation. Because if you get labeled crazy, we're done talking, I don't have to talk to you anymore. Because you're crazy. So everything you say is going to be crazy. Feels a little crazy, huh? I feel like you're looking at me like, dude, where are you getting your information? I don't, I would love You're to... making me feel crazy, well, I'll be honest. I, I was like resolute, to, I, and now no, I'm like, God. I would love to see, like, your references. Yeah. Because I've not heard that about the horse pill. I've heard that it's a horse dewormer, and that you should not be taking it as a human being, not a horse. Which, Give it to your horses for the worms. Which is But, like, crazy. you as a human being, don't take it yeah. for COVID. Like, get the vaccination and... You know, wash your hands and stuff. But this is what I'm talking about. You have this com- complete set of facts. Like from the CDC. Yeah. And I have this other complete s- set of facts from, from like... Where? Well, I think the World Health Organization has definitely talked about how it has been used previously. Before COVID, there's... A, I mean, there's a ton of information online. I think the World Health Organization... It's on some top list of like the 50 or 100 most influential discoveries it's a it's a real thing it's been used all across africa it's people have used it for a long time not in reference to covid which is where we're coming into this problem but it has been in use but because it's also a horse dewormer and has been used for that that's the branding that people are running with right now to discourage people and i'm not condoning anybody go out and buy this and start taking it of course but People have been using it. Doctors have been prescribing it. Countries have been using it. But that's not being talked about. It's just, oh, it's a horse dewormer. I mean, you didn't even know. And I could be completely wrong. Maybe I am. But that just reinforces my point of facts. Like, I'm sitting here saying, oh, I think this is a fact. And you're over here like, dude, you're fucking, you're smoking some crack. Where are you getting this stuff from? Because you've got this other set of facts. And we're just going, this is the world we live in now. Where I could sit over here and think, oh, this is all completely true and be taking this as my gospel and using this information and maybe taking ivermectin. And you could be over there like, you're going to die. But that's, that's what it is. That's the world today. And I feel crazy sitting over here now talking about it. But that's, from my purview, like this is all real. And I don't, you know, you're like, yeah. Yeah, but this is what I'm talking about, right? I mean, I yeah. Because if I just came uh, up to you on the street and started spewing this, you'd be like, "If I didn't know you from fuck? when you were young, I, yeah. I would have probably been like, well, I don't think you'd be this like, is oh, a conversation.' I need to get yeah, out of here. Appointments. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely would not recommend taking the horse dewormer. Um. I'm will absolutely look into it more, but pretty sure the CDC has not recommended that. They're recommending, you know, the the vaccinations yes they're def- the cdc is definitely not talking about yeah and, ivermectin and i do definitely trust their yeah. guidance and and i'm not a you know disease expert um so i will listen to those who are yeah well definitely i would definitely say just just take a peek just take a peek at it really because it might <laughs> might make you think nick is crazy might also make you think oh okay that's odd because if it is true that's odd why is nobody talking about that if these other countries are using it and finding success, if doctors are using it as a preventative, that's what I'm most familiar with. Not if you get COVID and you start taking it, though I've heard stories of that. 
but it's definitely been in use and prescribed by people that would have the knowledge on whether or not to prescribe it. And it's just weird from my perspective. It's just weird that the only thing you hear about is these crackheads taking horse dewormer. I mean, I haven't heard of any crackheads taking it, but um, I have heard it's not recommended for human use. Yeah. Um, so I would I would definitely talk to my doctor before you know anything. Yes, like do that. not go out to the farm store and buy it. Don't do that. But crazy times. I mean, it does sound kind of like you're like go to the farm store and buy it. it, it oh like no, I'm not. No, 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 no. You're talking about how much. But I'm definitely telling people that I would no, I would not go to the farm store <laughs> and buy it. But. If you're sitting at your computer and you want to do some DuckDuckGo searches or possibly some Google searches, I think you can find it on there too. It's it's just, I'm all about people being honest. And so when you find things, articles that are saying, oh, this is one way. And there's a lot of misinformation online, so who knows? But if this is something that other countries are doing, I just think it's weird that the news and the media are pushing this anti- ivermectin stance because they're not even saying ivermectin it's all horse dewormer and if it works if it helps people and doesn't hurt people why would we not want to use that i mean i think we would wait for you know the scientists that we employ to say this is what works um the fda has not approved it um so i think that's important well you know what's weird about that god we're just gonna keep going deep the booster shots two high profile fda People stepped down because they weren't comfortable with people taking the booster shots. And that kind of just got swept under the rug. Well, when you read what they were saying, they were saying that they don't think that it's necessary to get the booster shot because the two vaccinations have done what they yes. wanted it to do. It's effectively preventing people from dying or getting seriously sick. Yes. So I think that that's reasonable. But I think that their recommendation that people over 65 or with underlying health conditions take it makes sense. But I think in general, like we have so much of the world's vaccinations and there are people here who still haven't gotten vaccinated so giving them the opportunity to makes sense this is not going to help my case i'm not vaccinated not out of any conspiracy because i'm faxed up on everything i've got meningitis meningococcal i've i've got so many different vaccines running through my body but i just haven't i just honestly haven't gotten it not for any reason i could say oh this is why i'm not getting it. i just haven't gotten it you haven't gotten it for no reason. I just, I haven't gotten it because, I mean, if I'm, probably just because I'm not, I don't think I would die from it. And the stats that, you know, if you get COVID, you're, it's six to 13 times more effective than the vaccine, the antibodies are, you know. I just don't think, I don't know, I don't have a legitimate reason why I haven't gotten it. It's just I haven't gone down there. And gotten it. I mean, I think I hear this from young people like a lot saying, you know, oh, they don't it's think not that hurt me. they they don't think that they're gonna die, so they don't get it. But um like my partner his his cousin lives with us now because he at thirty three um caught COVID and really COVID itself is mostly dangerous because if you have underlying conditions, it really affects them. Yes. And it turned out that he unknowingly had no idea he had a tumor in, in his brain pushing up against his pituitary gland for over a decade. Oh, wow. Never knew it. And so when he caught COVID, 
the tumor started acting up and um he was getting like a headache and then he um went like blind his vision was just gone so he went to the er and they had to airlift him to seattle and um perform two surgeries to get this tumor out of his brain while he had covid and it's a miracle that he's alive and he's gonna be blind forever and it's because he caught covid he didn't die but because he you know caught covid and he had underlying symptoms that he didn't know about you know young healthy 33 year old no health issues that he knew about hadn't been to the doctor in years Mm -hmm. um and he's gonna be blind forever and i wonder if he had gotten the vaccination if it would have affected that tumor so bad if he'd gone to the doctor and had preventative care and they caught the tumor he might still have his eyesight and he's young facing a lifetime of blindness yeah and so i think you know i think young people are really like, we think we're invincible until we're not, and it's too late. And it's really hard because he could have died. Um, it's, like, genuinely a miracle that he isn't. And it's not like some stranger. He, like, he lives with us now. Like, I see this guy every yeah. day. and um, There's no degree of separation that's right there. No. Yeah, it's not, like, some some stranger that I heard about. Um, it's not Mickey no- Nicki Minaj's, like, cousin. Oh, God, <laughs> that was, whatever. yeah. Yeah, like, I think, you know, we, we think that we, we're going to be fine when we get it. But really, like, you don't know if you have underlying health conditions that you don't know about. Like, mm-hmm. really, um, like, even, like, healthy people are passing away. Young people are passing away. Kids are passing away. And, like, the virus is mutating so quickly. Um, and it's becoming more and more contagious. And I think people who, like really think that they're going to be okay aren't aren't necessarily thinking about the people that they live with or spend time with like you know i know you live close to your parents and like yeah i live at home i i hope that they you know stay safe because really you're putting them at greater risk by being unvaccinated living with them well that's the thing right is this is this is probably the reason why i haven't gotten it is because i view it as this is going to be a flu that's what this is going to be this isn't going anywhere this is going to be, from from my understanding, what I'm feeling is that this is just going to be a yearly thing. That there's going to be, there's probably going to be another set of shots, and it'll just be like a flu shot. Like, you're going to go get this thing. This is just going to be a virus that we're going to live with. And the fact that, you know, you can still get sick, and you, stand, you can still transmit it if you're vaccinated. I don't know. I just don't, I don't have a legitimate reason. And I'm happy both of my parents are vaxxed, which I definitely think they should, because they're in the age group or getting to the age group where it would be, you know, worthwhile for them to have it. But for younger people, especially I'm 23, statistically, my odds of getting it and having serious effects are, are, are pretty low, which people don't want to talk about. They don't want to talk about this is really affecting people 55 and up, really affecting them. There are cases like your friend, unfortunately, and, and cases where people have underlying conditions and are obese. Nobody wants to talk about obesity and how that is a serious factor in this. And if you are overweight, you should probably be vaccinated and you should probably be taking extra precautions on top of that because you are in this group that could be severely affected. Um, vitamin D, you should be supplementing with vitamin D, but nobody's talking about that. Are you supplementing with vitamin D? Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I take, I take a shit ton of vitamins. I take I, vitamin D, omega-3. I take a ton yeah. of stuff just You would probably be, be okay, but are you willing to, like, really play a game of risk with your own life and, like, those around you? Because, you know, 
yeah, you could still get sick if you're vaccinated, but you won't die and you're much less likely to transmit it onto other people. So it's like you're putting everyone that you come in contact with at risk too, at more risk See, because people, people say, say that you can have it for weeks and before your body starts to react to it and is, fight yeah. it off and you can transmit it that entire time. This is good. Would you say to an obese person, you should go lose weight? Like if I was sitting here like, hundred pounds heavier would you be like you should go you should go hit the gym you should really be trying to lose weight right now i wouldn't you're putting it... i would not i would hope that that you know they would maybe like be talking to their mm-hmm. doctor about it and i think also it depends on like genetics and it depends on like really what you're predisposed to and yeah i don't know that they're not that's already thing... doing what they can to keep that's what bothers safe. me is because you're actually the first person. I'm so happy because you're the first person that says like, oh, you should you should probably go get vaccinated. I've been waiting. Nobody's ever said that to me. I've been kind of like itching for it um, in a good way. Cause you're I think like that's... having arguments in the shower. Like, yeah, preparing for this. myself. Like, oh, fucking... No, I just think it's, it's fascinating because nobody says that in regards to other things. But if you're a smoker, if you're not supplementing with vitamin D, if you're doing these other things... I'm worried that people are getting this vaccine thinking, oh, this is the end all be all. Like, I don't have to take care of my health. I just have to get the vaccine and I'm going to be okay. And that worries me because this vaccine isn't, you know, 100% safeguard. You can still get sick. You can still die, which nobody wants to talk about these breakthrough cases. They just, because I've talked to a couple people who, you know, are overweight and it's like, oh, I got the vaccine and I'm I'm good now. Like, I'm I'm safe. I'm okay. And it's like, well... You're still at risk. You should be, you know, go, you should want to take these other steps because your health, your body, your immune system, like these are the first layers of defense. And if you are healthier and active and taking these steps, you're going to have a better chance. This vaccine is great. It's a great preventative. It helps. It does help. I'm not sitting here pretending that it doesn't because it definitely does. But there are other things you could be doing too that I think people are missing, which worries me. And what scares me, I think... It's almost like I probably should get vaccinated. I probably should. I don't know if I will. I'm still waiting. I think I'm at this point where I'm kind of nudging back because they're, everyone is nudging so hard. I think the vaccine passport is scary. I think that forcing people to do something is problematic. I get the schools. I think that's an argument could be made for that, but Making making people get vaccinated to go to a restaurant or to go to a gym or to go to a movie theater, that worries me because I see where that could go and what else that could be used for. And I think forcing people to do things with their bodies is is a is a problem. I don't think that leads anywhere good. And it worries me that people are so on board to do that and so on board to carry around a little card that shows I'm vaccinated, like I'm. I'm doing my part. I'm I'm helping people out. I mean, there's sentiment that, oh, if you're not vaccinated and you get sick, you shouldn't be able to go to the hospital. You shouldn't be able to get a bed because you're taking a bed from maybe someone who's vaccinated and sick or taking a bed from someone else who's got something else going on. It's like, where's the compassion with that? What are we, what are we, what are we doing here? This forced compliance, I think, is what worries me. I think that, that's a very American way of looking at it because we value personal freedom more than we value harming others sometimes. And I, and I think that that's really, but is that, that it though? I think, 
I think so. I think that really, like, we should be doing everything we can to stay safe and to keep others safe. Like, I think even if you're vaccinated, you should still continue to try to, you know, limit social interactions. Like, I think you should try to, you know, keep healthy and stay healthy for yourself and loved ones. I think it's pretty selfish because you're putting other people at higher risk, you know, by being unvaccinated, you're helping transmit this virus. Like, you're kind of like in a way being like well if i get it i'll be fine like Mm -hmm. i can host it i can pass it on it's fine but like other people you know might die and there are breakthrough cases there are people who you know have been vaccinated and are getting it usually they have underlying health conditions um and you know you're significantly less likely to die with it and i think that that has value um i don't like i think turning it into like oh this is like a freedom thing okay like don't get it And knowing that, like, our hospital workers are so overburdened by people who are not vaccinated and that they're sick of it. I'm not saying that people shouldn't get health care. I think you should always get health care. And, you know, people aren't able to get health care right now because there's so many unvaccinated people in the hospital. And I think that is horrible. You know, our health care system can't take the strain of taking care of so many unvaccinated people who are so sick. It's not keeping up with it well at all. And I'm not saying that people shouldn't get care. Everybody should get care. And, you know, in saying everybody should get care, that means, like, people, you know, who have non-life-threatening issues that are still very much so issues. My best friend's just had a seizure. She was in the hospital for 12 hours before she was able to be seen because there's so many people who were not vaccinated who they were taking care of. And absolutely, saving people's life should be, you know, the first priority and... There's serious medical conditions that we still need doctors for also, and doctors really cutting back to, you know, a level of care that's mostly based on if helping prevent people from dying instead of, like, taking care of, you know, important issues also is scary. It's scary, and I think that we contribute to it. Our actions as individuals build up to who we are as society and society together. We can be people who really are looking out for just ourselves and thinking of what is best for ourselves, or we can be people who look out for everyone around us. And I personally think it's really selfish to not get vaccinated if you're able to. I know that not everybody's able to, but I think a lot of us here are. And it's a tremendous privilege to say, I have this opportunity and I might not take it because I think I'll be fine knowing that, you know, you put your loved ones and your parents at higher risk. I don't think, you know, any of us want to see our loved ones get hurt. And it's interesting that with this, so many of us are like, well, we'll take our chances. <laughs> you know? Well, I don't think it's so much. It's definitely not so much. We'll take our chances, right? I there are these other steps that you can take. I think I th- the the vaccine is definitely a layer of protection that is beneficial, especially if I'm not, I don't want to discourage anybody from getting the vaccine. Um, especially if you're in one of the groups that can be hit hardest by it. I definitely think you should, but younger people, I, I, do you need it? Do you need, I don't know. Yeah. I think you could. You could also supplement. You could also exercise. There are these things that have been proven to decrease your odds of getting a severe illness. At People... the same rate as the vaccine? You think these? Oh, I don't know. Things? I don't even know if there's enough research on that. I know vitamin D. It's something crazy like 80 or 90 percent of the people that were in the ICU were vitamin D deficient, which doesn't surprise me because that's most most Americans, most people in general don't take vitamin D. And that's been proven to 
to really help your chances. Vitamin D is huge, which is surprising that nobody talks about that. Obesity, 85% of the people, I think it's 85 or 87 of the people that were hospitalized were obese. That's another factor that nobody wants to talk about. My worry is that we're focusing so much on this vaccine that people are ignoring, you know, if you're healthy, that helps too. So get the vaccine and be healthy. Totally. Should be something that's preached. Totally. I think it should be both, you know. I think it should be all of the ways that we can take care of each other. I don't like the the take care of each other shame, I think, bothers me because people say that. They say, get vaccinated to save grandma, you know, that sentiment that goes around, which is fine. That's important, but that kind of ties into that weird, you're kind of trying to, not you necessarily, but like people are trying to guilt trip others into this forced compliance thing. And while it's not necessarily bad because we're in a pandemic and people are dying and like this is a real thing, I don't think forced compliance and and mandating things like this is is good for society. I think that the, it's a slippery slope and it it leads to bad things. When you say, oh, you have to have a card that shows you've got this thing in your body to come into this place. Like, don't you want to keep the restaurant workers safe? Like, Yeah. Yeah. And don't you want to, like, decrease still... their risk of getting it, too? Yeah, but you're you're decreasing their risk, but it's not it's not removing the risk because if the if this vaccine you you couldn't spread it if you got it i would compl- i would say i wouldn't run a, rush out and get it like if you weren't transmitting it if you weren't getting sick from it but it's just a layer of protection your people are still getting sick with it people are still dying from being vaccinated people are getting vaccinated and having pretty severe reactions from the vaccine like there are these other factors that people just seem to want to ignore in a weird way and say okay now you have to get this thing to go out into public in the last month imagine if we change in the last month they've shown that half of the world's population has gotten at least one of their doses of the vaccination that's awesome so i think that like at a certain point like you can say yes it's you know there's there's side effects or yes there's this or that but like really it's about creating enough people who are vaccinated that there's herd immunity and we haven't gotten that yet i i think they've said that that's not herd immunity is basically out the window that this is because you're still transmitting it. You're still conducting it. And you're still transmitting it. They're saying herd immunity isn't possible because people are choosing not to get vaccinated. Oh, and so it's I still trans- getting transmitted at a higher rate than if we had gotten vaccinated. So I think there's still, it's still an option. I think it takes folks, you know, getting vaccinated. Mm-hmm. And if you're thinking like, okay, forced compliance isn't working, you know, shaming people isn't helping. What would you, how would you convince people to get vaccinated knowing that it's an important layer of protection? I wouldn't. If they, I think it's, unfortunately or fortunately, I think that it's people's choice. I think at this point in time, you have some diehard people out there that are like, they don't want to get it because they think it's government, whatever somebody, there's some wild conspiracies out there about the vaccine. I think at this point, people that have gotten it, got it. And people that haven't gotten it probably don't want to get it for whatever reason. I don't, I don't see why they have to be forced into getting it. I think that's, that's what makes me uncomfortable. But even before there were these mandates, you still were uncomfortable and not getting it. So I don't think it changed your mind at all. (laughs) Well, I just, I haven't gotten it because it's probably a combination of those things, but it's not, I'm not. 
anti-vaccine. I don't think there's anything wrong with the vaccine. I recognize that it's beneficial, but I recognize the flu shot's beneficial, and I don't get the flu shot. Mainly because I got really sick one time when I took the flu shot, so the flu shot was off the table for me, but I think that people should be allowed to choose. Unfortunately or fortunately, I think that choice... I mean, yeah, it makes us American, and I think that's a good thing. I think having, you see what's going on in Australia right now, where people are riding with these lockdowns, and it's it's a big deal, because people don't want these restrictions. You can't lock people in their houses and say, you can't go outside. And I think people like, people like to imagine that, you know, the U.S. can't devolve into a third world state, or shit can't hit the fan here. But it can. And I think forcing people to put things into their body that they don't want to for whatever reason. I think that's that's a pretty good start downhill into a place we don't want to go. I mean, imagine if you were forcing people... Like, the tech... This is not a good comparison and I shouldn't bring this up. But the abortion bill in Texas? Not good. People should be allowed to have an abortion. But imagine... Saying, oh, you you can't get an abortion. Telling people... I have a problem with telling people what they can and can't do with their body. But that seems to be ignored when it comes to the vaccine. With abortion, it's like, yeah, your choice. My body, my choice. And then it comes to the vaccine, it's like, mm, your body, my choice. And I just think that's a weird... I don't understand why people are... If you have the vaccine, you're protected. You are protected. So I might get you sick, but you still have that layer of protection. And you might get sick from somebody who's also vaccinated. So it's you have that protection. It's extremely less likely, though. But is it, though? Because there's a lot of research coming out that people are still spreading it. There was a prison where the inmates were... Somewhere here in the States, they were the prison was 70% vaccinated, and it ran through them. It ran through the inmates. You cannot socially distance in prison. That's a good point. But how you many cannot, people... cannot. And there isn't a lot of personal protective equipment in the prisons. But and you, you have, like, from, one people... You came from Tacoma, mm-hmm. down here, to see your parents. You could have had it. You could spread it right now. I could be getting it from you. But that's a thing, right? It's we don't so want to look. But we don't want to look at it that vaccinated. way. But it happens. It's not. You're not. People the, are still spreading it. Vaccinated. There's no way anyone is completely immune. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, but you're significantly less likely to get it. You're significantly less likely to transmit it. And I think you know, it really, you can be like, okay, it's my choice. I'm not doing it. And like. You know, maybe you want to call it shaming, but the truth is that you are putting people around you at greater risk by being yes. unvaccinated. Maybe. Definitely. <laughs> you're putting people, people at greater risk. Yourself think people and that others. Are obese are putting other people at greater risk. I think people that smoke are putting people around them at risk. There's a lot of things that we do that put people at risk. People that have a beer and, you know, people that drunk drive put people at risk. Unfortunately or fortunately, the ability to choose what you do with your body, especially, and what you do with your life, I think that's important. Until it affects other people. But like, everything affects other people. I think that if what you're doing, if your choices are really putting other people at harm, that is the point when government is supposed to intervene. But then where does that point stop? When you're not putting other people at harm. That's a broad definition. That's a scarily broad definition. Because my right to own a gun puts other people at risk. Statistically, you and your family. 
<laughs> much higher risk. But everybody. So should the government be able to take your gun? I just think that the slippery slope argument is so ridiculous. See, you're people comparing say that. Yes. apples and oranges. People like, say that, but your, that's how the slope argument, gets started. Your argument is like based off of like flawed rationale because you're not comparing two things. Like getting the vaccine and abortion are not similar. Super sorry. Like there's no, no, no they're I recognize not similar. That. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that like it completely ignores like the nuances around them. It completely ignores like, you know, my body, my choice is really something that women are still fighting for today. And so being like, no, the vaccine's totally similar. It's like when women's rights movement compare themselves to like Black Lives Matter. It's totally different. Stop doing that. <laughs> like these like arguments are not helpful for one another. They're not. They're not similar. It, the comparison does not make sense. But it's fair to extrapolate, especially considering, okay, vaccine, getting it, you have to get it. Guns. Well, you have to give up your gun because that puts people at risk. People don't like to acknowledge that to get to like where China is, where you have these social credit systems and you're being watched by the government and censored and you can just be ghosted in the middle of the night. You have to take these progressive steps that erode your rights. The Bill of Rights, people don't have rights. That's not a real concept. Your right to abortion, your right to own a gun, those are all man-made things that people died to get. And when you start to erode the fundamental foundation of those things, while it seems small and it seems just because the eroding of rights always starts that way, it becomes a slippery slope. So where we start with the vaccine, then we could go to guns, then maybe we go to abortion, then maybe we we hit all these other pillars and then people are being monitored when they leave their house. That's like a really that's ridiculous a really argument. Yeah, that's it, a really ridiculous. It's only like, ridiculous because thinking. we're at step one right now. That's the only reason why it's ridiculous. Because if I told you, okay, you have to get a vaccine. And then next year I said, okay, there's a new variant of the flu. You have to get the flu shot. And then the next year I said, okay, well, gun violence, like the CDC is trying to do, state it as an endemic. Okay, well, now you have to give up your guns because so many people are dying from gun violence that we're just going to take all the guns. Okay. Then the next year we turn into Australia and it's like, okay, another pandemic starts. You can't leave your house. You don't get to go anywhere. You're going to stay in your house and you're going to social distance. We're going to lock down. It sounds crazy, but these are the steps that, that society can take. And it sounds crazy because we're at step one. So I'm saying you have to do this thing to go somewhere else. And that seems small. And it seems like a good thing because you're doing it for the betterment of society. So people are like, yeah, let's do that. Let's force vaccinations because it's going to help everybody. Let's back all the way up. Okay. Because that that was like a ridiculous progression. Okay. okay. So, so you think that it's okay to say that like kids in school need to be vaccinated. Yeah. yeah. And like including the COVID vaccination. Uh, no, because there's... A, this not, vaccine not, is totally different than all the other vaccines. This vaccine, there's research that is coming out and research that's being done that kids under 12 especially, it's not good for them. There was a study that just came out that, oh God, I'm not going to do it justice, that it has adverse effects on uh, teenage boys, that it's not good for them, that they should not be taking this vaccine at that age. I don't know about anything older than that, but I know that young children, probably not. I think that's why the FDA hasn't said that kids below 12 should be taking the vaccine. No. But college, if colleges want to mandate it, like they did, I had to get the meningococcal one because OSU had an outbreak 
And so I rushed out. I got my vaccine because I didn't want to catch that. I think that's fine. But saying, you know, hospitals saying, oh, if hospital workers don't get vaccinated, they're fired or airline industries doing that or restaurants. I think forcing people to do that is very uncomfortable because it can be extrapolated to other things, even if we don't want to recognize that now. People saying you have to do, people forcing you to put something in your body is a really weird concept to me. But it's, it's, a really it's weird been concept. happening your entire life. You know, you went to public schools, you, True, but you don't have you to, to get these vaccinations. I don't have to get the menin- meningococcal vaccine to go to Target, I don't have, which is way deadlier than COVID is. You catch meningitis or any of that or polio, that you're going to have a way worse time. But you don't have to have those vaccines to go anywhere. We do. Luckily, most of us, I don't have to have the malaria. I don't have to take malaria pills, but that still runs around. Malaria kills hundreds of hundreds of thousands of people a year. Runs rampant, but I don't have to have that to go into Target. Nobody's saying, oh, you have to have the flu shot to go on a plane, but we're doing that with COVID. And I think that's a slippery, I, I believe that's a slippery first step, whether it's warranted or not. Forcing people to put something in your body is a weird thing. That's a weird thing. Especially something that's not on par. Polio and COVID are not on the same playing field. By far. Polio and malaria are not on the same playing field. But we're doing, we're mandating it with COVID. I think that's weird. I think that's uncomfortable. I think that there's like a lot more things that we're forced to do than already than we realize, you know, whether it's. So should, but do we want to, is that a justification? That seems like a weird way to I justify doing that. I think like a global that. pandemic where we're seeing, you know, millions of people die. It makes sense to ask people to get vaccinated when people are choosing not to. I feel like we're on this scale where we're still seeing, you know, hundreds of thousands of people die every year i think that we have to look at like what else can we do to keep our communities safe like i think it it is really about keeping each other safe keeping ourselves it, and others safe is it yeah. we let people smoke we let people smoke that's a one way sentence to dying heart disease kills way more people than covid does you can go hit mcdonald's 24 hours a day so if it's keeping people safe why are we not doing that with everything else with these things that kill way more people than COVID does. Alcohol kills more people than COVID. I'm sitting here drinking a beer. The argument of, oh, we need to keep people safe ends when we realize that's not that's only being extrapolated to COVID right now. And the I vaccine. Don't, I don't think it is. I mean, I think that we have laws against like drunk driving because we are hoping to keep people safe. Like I think we have laws like, about different things that really are focused on keeping people safe. But tobacco, I could go buy a pack of smokes right now. And that's, there's no, there's no upside to that. That doesn't do something good and kill me at the same time. It only kills you. But we allow people to make that choice because we think if you're an adult, if you, you should be able to make your own if choices. If you smoke cigarettes and we're not in the same room while you're smoking, you're not killing me. You could potentially kill me or others if you are unvaccinated and are sick and don't know it. But that's so many other things. Like I could potentially kill you with anything, with a gun. I could potentially kill somebody with my car by accidentally falling asleep at the wheel. Like that, the argument of, oh, you have to do this to watch out for everyone else. I get that it's a good thing. I get that 
that's why this is such a solid argument for it is because you're on the side of social social justice and we want to help people we want to take care of people which is a good thing that is inherently good but forcing people to do something is not inherently good i think that is a step in the wrong direction regardless of the reasons and while it might seem good for this i think people always forget that the tools that are used on your side today are often used against you tomorrow. And my biggest go-to with that is censorship, right? A lot of people think it's good that we're censoring QAnon and flat earth theories and all these crazy conspiracies, pizza, gate. They think it's good that we're censoring that. And maybe it is because those conspiracies, people have done bad things in the name of those conspiracies. But what they don't realize is that if this censorship was around when Martin Luther King was alive, he would have been censored. He wouldn't have been able to say whatever he wants online. They would have locked him up. Like these tools. He was censored often. People exactly. didn't do that. And he was jailed. He was. And he would have been on Twitter and on Facebook and on Instagram. These platforms wouldn't have, would not have allowed him to speak. And yet they're fine with not allowing these other people to speak because I they don't agree that, with like, the message. This civil rights movement isn't one that's it's super different. comparable it's different. with COVID vaccinations. It's, <laughs> like... But I'm trying to make these comparisons that these steps that seem good can be used for bad reasons. And so if you allow them, you open the floodgate to, okay, 9-11, we open the door to all this surveillance on people, on Americans. We open the door to the NSA, spying on whoever they want, whenever they want. And those powers have only grown from 9-11. They weren't there before, but we open the gate and they, they grow. If you give the government a power, that power rarely gets taken back. It only gets expanded on. So by following your logic and saying People don't have to be vaccinated at all. It's fine if other people die. Like you're kind of saying it's okay if millions more people die so that I don't have to be inconvenienced or do something that I don't want to do. Would you say, I think that people, if you have the choice that you can go out and buy a pack of cigarettes and smoke yourself to death, you should be allowed to have the choice not to get the vaccine. But smoking yourself to death does not kill the people around you. Okay. But you are vaccinated. So you are more protected. So your odds of dying are significantly lower. Yes, you might get sick. You might have flu-like symptoms. But you're vaccinated. So your odds of dying are severely cut. So you're pretty much safe. So the only one that could theoretically really be hurt is someone who's not vaccinated like me. And so then, there's a lot of kids who are not able to get vaccinated. And kids, and kids are kids not are, really affected by COVID. That's kids something. are totally dying today. There are little kids very, dying from COVID. Very rarely. Babies. Very rarely are young kids dying. Statistically, very, very rarely. So what about people who do have underlying health conditions? Get aren't, vaccinated. Aren't we, Absolutely. Aren't, aren't, but people with underlying health conditions, aren't we saying to them, you are expendable because people who feel like they are healthy don't need to get vaccinated. So your life is expendable. To old folks, you're like, okay, you could totally no, die. There's... And that's okay because, you know, we don't okay. want to, like, undermine American okay. views of rights. Are these older people vaccinated? Because then their odds of dying, like you said, are way lower. 
their odds of dying are way lower, right? That's what you just said with being vaccinated. So why does it matter if I'm not vaccinated? Because they're protected. Because you're helping this. You're like volunteering to be a host for COVID. I would say that. I would say that if you couldn't still spread it if you were vaccinated. If you could only spread it if you were unvaccinated, you should get vaccinated. If everybody in the United States was vaccinated, there would be no hosts for COVID to continue passing along to. Like it would be significantly less likely. It would would definitely still be spread. If we were all vaccinated, it would stop spreading. It would stop having hosts. that's not true. That's there's nothing there's nothing backing that though there's no scientific evidence that it would just stop. Absolutely, that's why the CDC is recommending we all get vaccinated so that it stops spreading. It, but it won't stop. Sp- I have not heard. Uh, we might have to fact check that. There's I've not heard that it would not if theoretically if everybody in the world was vaccinated. It what how how because you can still contract it and spread it if you're vaccinated to other vaccinated people. So then we would just be spreading it amongst. The vaccinated. So it's while most people might not be dying, less likely. Like we're we're still, cutting off you this keep like saying beast that. at the leg. You keep saying that, but it's still happening. But it's still happening. If it wasn't happening, completely different argument. Not that I would still say that you should force people to get vaccinated, but I would be like, yeah, everyone should go get vaccinated because you can't spread it. Even if you could still get sick from it and just not spread it, that's great. And what about if you have antibodies? What if you got COVID? and beat it, those antibodies are 6 to 13 times more effective than the vaccine. Should you still have to go get the vaccine? What about all the people that had it and beat it? You have natural immunity now. Should they still have to get vaccinated? I think so. Why? But they're, they have a protection more effective than the vaccine. They have a protection, but also, you know, the protection is only going to be lasting in your body for so long is what the scientists have said. Like the CDC still recommends people who have gotten COVID get the vaccine. And I will absolutely follow people who have medical credentials. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm not recommending anything to anybody, but six to 13 times more coverage sounds a hell of a lot better, but. Six to 13 times more coverage than 95%. That's. The va- they've come out anomaly. they've come out that natural immunity is 6 to 13 times more effective than the vaccine which is 95% effective. effective so why should they still have to get how it how can it be more than 100% listen i'm just telling you what, what the <laughs> research this is but this is real though if you're vaccinated and your odds of dying are super low because you're vaccinated why does it matter if i'm not vaccinated because you can still Get it, it, transmit it. Yes. But you can still get it and transmit it. At a significantly less likely rate. But what does that mean? What if you were that one in 10 that still gets it and spreads it? So then you still spread it. To far fewer people than if you're unvaccinated. But but you're still protected. You're still good. You're not going to die. Your argument was based on we don't want people to die. You're not going to die. People that are vaccinated statistically. I shouldn't get sick because someone else is. Okay, but I shouldn't. There shouldn't be kids dying in Africa. But if I could prevent that, I would. Wouldn't you? If you could prevent kids in Africa from dying, wouldn't you do it? If you could prevent your family members and other people from dying, wouldn't you? Absolutely. So why doesn't that rationale carry over into vaccinations? But I am. It's not. I am taking steps, right? I exercise very rigorously. I'm very healthy thankfully i supplement with vitamin d i i'm taking these other steps i'm in a group statistically that is has a very low chance of dying from covid 
Both of my parents are vaccinated. Everyone I come into contact with is vaccinated. I'm not traveling. I am taking steps. But I think that forcing someone to put something into their body, I don't think that is something that we should be condoning. I think that's, I think that's a, regardless of whatever reason there is, that's a so problem. So regardless of millions of people dying. Mil- See, this is the thing that gets, it's, I'm going to try to say this without sounding like an asshole, which I feel like is going to be hard because I'm thinking it, it sounds kind of assholey, but millions of people die. That's, that's life. Millions of people die from malaria when we have, we have preventative measures for that. But we don't ship them over to Africa where people are dying way more than COVID. Malaria is a big deal in Africa. Like kids are dying by the hundreds of thousands. Nobody's shipping over malaria medicine to them. Nobody's helping them out. So your rationale is like, let them die from COVID? No, no, no. My rationale is I should not have any ability to look at you and say, you have to do this to go out into society. Because that... That is... Even though you're putting not, people at greater risk. But that's not weird to you at all? The idea of saying you have to do this thing to go out, that's not uncomfortable? In a global pandemic, I hope that we are keeping those most vulnerable safe. I hope that, you know, having been a restaurant worker, I hope that we are keeping them safe. I, like, you know, and even having no relation to people who are like, you know running cinemas and stuff. I hope that we keep them safe. I hope that we're doing everything we can to keep people safe. I hope that we're doing you, everything that we can. Are you supplementing to... with vitamin D or anything? I'm not taking vitamin D, but I drink a lot of OJ. That's vitamin C. Oh, vitamin D is from the sun. Oh, well, I see but, the sun a lot okay. too. But that's another preventative measure that you could be taking to prevent, to help other people. And if, like, I am happy to take vitamin D. Like, that's not an issue. I'm not taking horse pills, but, but see, I'm happy to take vitamin D. Just well, I'm so going to work on you. I'm going to get you. Just so you can hear where my level Listen, of crazy by is. by the end of this, I'm going to get you on some, and we'll I, go swing by Nielsen Feet and pick up some, some wormers. Probably not. But, you know, like, I try, should, I do well, what gonna, I can I'm going to definitely healthy. look into that because. Like, I definitely stay healthy. Like, yes. I definitely work on no, those no, things. Just, and I do take a lot of precautions. Like, I socially isolate more than most anybody I know. But you say that, and yet you traveled here from Tacoma. I drove in the car by myself. Didn't stop at a gas station or grab any food or do anything in between. I, I did feed myself. Okay. It's true. Okay. In my car. I was going to be impressed not if you in did a, it. Not in a restaurant, but in my car. But you did come dog. into contact with people. It's impossible for me to not come into contact with people. Yeah. And I came into far fewer contact yes. with people in my car by myself driving yes. 12 hours than even if I had stayed at home and went to the grocery store. Yes, but what I'm saying is we are... There is and I wore a mask there is and inherent... I used hand sanitizer. Yes. Like I yes. take yes. lots of precautions to keep myself and those around but me safe. F- yes, and that's great. And we should all be taking precautions, but forcing people to do things is uncomfortable. Because what if tomorrow, I know you don't like these these extrapolations, but what if tomorrow I said, okay, what if we started forcing people to have abortions? That would be really uncomfortable. You're being so ridiculous. But it's only ridiculous because we're not there yet. Right, China has a policy, or they did, where you could only have one child. Imagine being forced that you could only have one kid. That if you had a second child, well, you're gonna have an abortion, and I that's just... crazy. But that's that's a real thing. That's what is real in China, or was real before they lifted it. But that was a real thing. And do you think that they just that that just came out of nowhere? It comes from taking steps. 
and forcing things on the public. Like I get, I get that it sounds crazy because it is. And the idea that we would force people to get abortions here sounds crazy. But to me, it also sounds crazy that we would rip families apart and keep kids in cages. And it sounds crazy that we would not give Native Americans the vaccine to smallpox. Like there are things that sound crazy to us because we're not in that realm. But to people that are in that realm, it doesn't sound so crazy. Like these steps, they don't sound, I bet in Australia when they had guns, the idea that, oh, the government's going to come and take all your guns, that probably sounded crazy. That sounds crazy to me now, and I know they did it. And then they went and did it. Everything sounds crazy until you get to the point of, oh shit, it's not crazy anymore because it's happening. I don't think it has to sound like so crazy. Like, I don't think asking people to, you know, get the vaccine so that they're putting the essential workers at lower risk sounds crazy. Yeah. I don't think that no, sounds that. crazy. I get that. Does forced abortion sound crazy? Yes, and it is crazy. And it happens. It does happen in the world. I just feel like that's not comparable to like in a global pandemic, asking people to get mandate, like asking people to get vaccinated. But does the government listening to your cell phone 24-7 sound crazy? Because prior to 9-11, it sounds sounds boring as hell. Uncomfortable to me, but prior to 9-11, that would have been crazy. And here we are today, and that's exactly what happens. Constant surveillance. And we are in this constant surveillance state because of what happened during 9-11. When there was this, this scary moment in the world and people were, were willing to erode some of their freedoms to feel protected and feel safe. Because when people are afraid and when there is an imminent danger, that's when the most damage can be done. Because people are willing to do anything to feel safe again. They're willing to give up anything to feel comfortable to feel protected to feel like somebody is watching out for them and that's when the that's when that's when the damage gets done and that's when the foundation for later damage is laid is during these times because if the world was going great imagine four years ago right no covid and they said everyone has to have a flu vaccine to go anywhere outside of their house that would sound pretty crazy that would be pretty crazy For me, I would think that's crazy, wouldn't you? If they said just out of the blue, everyone has to get vaccinated with the flu shot or you can't leave your house. That would be pretty crazy, but that's essentially what we're doing here. In a global pandemic. Yes, but that is still, but (laughs) still. So what you're saying is you think that the government is perpetuating mass fear. No. So like pull one over on us during this, or like take advantage. I did not say that. So when you're talking about the government, like perpetuating this fear and like fear mongering to strip away I didn't say any of that. I said that this first step, though it doesn't sound crazy. Well, comparing it to like 9-11 and like, you know. No, I'm telling you what happened. We weren't being spied on with mass surveillance before 9-11 there was no tsa we weren't scanning our body we obviously we there didn't was have mail. TSA yeah but it wasn't 9/11. you could just get on a plane there was no flying was completely different before 9-11 there were still security checks not anywhere near the level of security that it's we had today. definitely different yeah but i i am wondering why you're saying that if you're not comparing the two because it's what ha- what was pre-9-11 and post-9-11 is completely different the, F- the patriot act open the door for for these things that nobody saw coming 
for these things that nobody saw coming, for the level of surveillance that everyone should be uncomfortable with and is when they know what is really happening. But that started when people were afraid, when we had been attacked and people were willing to give up anything to be safe. And so you feel like I feel like this is a step mandating the vaccine is going to lead to all of those things. I think it will lead to something bad in the future and we will look on it like we do with that. Like, oh, wow. Now that I'm not saying necessarily that it's going to lead to forced abortions or anything, but I think people in China probably didn't think that whatever started with that led to forced abortions or that line of thinking is a real thing, but people don't like to look at that. They say, oh, this isn't crazy. This thing we're doing now, it's just, you're just giving up one thing. You're forcing people to do one thing. What's what's the problem with that? And maybe there's not a problem with that. But then tomorrow it can become two things. And the next day it can become three things. And maybe it's not the next day. Maybe it's 20 years. I think when we're talking about vaccines, it's different than the rest of the things that you're talking it, why about. Why is it? It's only we different get, because get, you're on the side get, of the vaccine. We already get so many vaccines. Our dogs and animals get so many vaccines yep. before they can do any. Like we, None that we're make in a it culture. so you can't leave the house. There's no vaccine right now that's on the market that you have to have to go into a supermarket or to go sit down at a restaurant. There's none. You don't need a vaccine to go into a supermarket. They're talking about things where you're where like eating at a restaurant or okay. going to movies. But there's no vaccine. There's no other vaccine requirement for any of that. Right. So we have all these vaccines, which are great. I'm not anti-vaccine. I have all of them. But forcing people to get one to go into a place is weird. And this is the first time we're doing that. This is the first step. And I think it could lead. It could. And you you know what the government is capable of because your people have experienced it. My people have experienced it. Anybody that lives in this country has experienced what the government is capable of. And I think giving the government more power should be alarming. And allowing them to say you have to do this to be a, a part of society is a problem. Because where who knows where it could lead. And while it might seem crazy today... Might not seem crazy in 10 years when it's happening. When they're saying, oh, you can only have one child. And if you ha- if you are pregnant with a second, I guess it's abortion or adoption. You don't get to keep that second child. Your line of reasoning is ridiculous, first of all. You say that. Ridiculous. You say that until it happens. Okay. If you were in China, but if you were in China and they said you can only have one child, you'd be like, this is crazy. But that's the law. That's the law in China. It was. They lifted it because they their population was struggling. And they had way more men than women because people didn't want daughters because you could only have one child. But that sounds crazy. But that happened. I just think that... I get it. I get it. You don't see it going there. And that's okay. I I do not. That's okay. I don't think that's like a rational comparison. I think, you know, what I do see happening without these mandates is that people aren't going to be vaccinated. This is something that we're going to, it is definitely going to be endemic. This is something we're going to deal with decades because people were selfish and didn't do what they could to protect themselves and others. But what if everyone gets vaccinated and it's still around for the next 15 years? And we're dying at much less rates. I think that that's a much more preferable outcome than millions of people continuing to die and spreading it to people who don't have the option of getting the vaccine. Like kids. But kids statistically aren't dying at high rates. So are you going to tell a parent of a kid that's just died from COVID? I'm going to say, oh my God, I'm so sorry. But your kid doesn't matter compared to to like my freedom. You are. You're saying that they don't matter because it's statistically less likely. Why is your freedom 
why do you get the right to force somebody to do something? Why, why that's not within your freedom. With the either way, we're eroding somebody's freedom, which isn't good. To, the ability to, to force, prevent millions of people from it, dying. It doesn't matter what it's for. I think it does. I think it's not in the same level as other things. Like we're preventing millions of people from dying. We're not like being like, okay, everybody. Then everybody has okay, abortions now. We can like, do that's that, not but then the we same. should force people to exercise. We should force people not to smoke cigarettes. We should force people not to drink alcohol. We should force all these other things that kill way more people. Why are we not forcing them to do that? If this is about saving lives, we should force people to give up their guns. We should force people to eat healthy. We should shut down every fast food restaurant across the country. The, I mean, all these things kill way more people. Way more. I mean, we're talking tenfold. I think it's different when you're talking about individual freedoms that will only harm you. And when you're talking about things that will harm many more people. But obesity people. will harm multiple. If you are obese and you contract COVID, you're not only more likely to die, but you'll take up a bed, which could prevent someone who's vaccinated from getting a bed that needs it. You are affecting other people if you're obese. You are affecting other people if you're involved in a gang or if you are out drinking because you don't know what could happen you might accidentally get in your car and drive and hit a family of five there are these other things that that affect other people though we don't want to look at it like that we've created lots of laws against drunk driving we've created lots of there's campaigns no laws against, against it fast food i mean i think that there there have been some laws on implementation on, around like serving sizes and things like that. And I think, and I think like problem, fast food isn't like, you know, if you eat and you decide to eat a lot of fast food every day, you're still only harming yourself. You're not potentially killing grandma. You're not. But if grandma's vaccinated, I'm not potentially killing her. You are. Because she, elders, vaccinated. even if they are vaccinated, are still more likely to, to pass you away just said from you're COVID way than less, other things. You're way less likely to yes, die if you're vaccinated. And if you have pre-existing health conditions it's still a possibility and okay. i think that their lives matter i think there, that they nobody's do. saying that they don't but you can't force somebody to put something in their body you're exactly saying their lives matter less than my right to not have this vaccination that could potentially if i take it prevent covid from carrying on and changing and using you as a host and creating other hosts but all those things happen still if you're back if listen this would be a completely different conversation if being vaccinated prevented those things i'm not sure it would like your line of thinking makes me think that even if it did prevent covid entirely you would still be like my individual right to not get vaccinated is more important than people with underlying health conditions oh i would still, still absolutely still i would at- still argue that we shouldn't force people to get vaccinated i would go get vaccinated but uh, i would still argue that you shouldn't force people because that's that's the hill that i would die on is forcing people to put something in their body is very uncomfortable that's the hill that you maybe wouldn't die on, but other people would be because of your choices. But people are dying because we have guns. People die. Again, there are these things that kill and way more have, people than COVID. And we COVID. have created laws around gun safety. Are but they working? Are they stronger? Sure. And I'm not against people having guns. I am against people being selfish at the harm of but other why people. why is it selfish? Because you're intentionally doing something that you know will harm other people if you catch COVID. You know? See, this this is what I'm this is what I'm worried about is this like this forced you have to do this thing. Like you're sitting here not 
I get you're coming I'm from a great you place. I'm telling you, you should. Yes, but you're I'm like, you, you should. You should. Go, you're gonna kill grandma if you don't. You should go get vaccinated. You're gonna. You're I think gonna you kill might. people. You're selfish if I, you don't get. I think it's selfish. No, I get that. But that's that's weird. Like that's not a good thing. We shouldn't be wanting to promote that in society. In a global pandemic where millions of people are dying, I think we should promote that. That's a scary thing. That freaks me. That freaks me out more than the flat earth QAnon conspiracy theories. Because that line of thinking, that's what takes away people's freedom. That's what takes away people's right to free speech. That's what censors people. That I get you don't want to look 10 steps ahead. But when you start eroding personal freedom, like that's what everyone in this country, if your ancestors were here, that's what they died for. Was the right for you to choose? Unfortunately, your, your you do freedom. not have the right to tell me what my ancestors did or did not die for. So okay. don't play that card with me. Okay, let's do not, not. Okay, let's. That's completely unacceptable. Let's not. I wasn't talking about you specifically. We're on a podcast here, and I know your mom, and she's white, and you don't. Let's not get defensive. We're just having a conversation here. Because it's frustrating. Okay, for yes, but don't. Don't, I get that other people might have said that to you, but don't just assume that I'm, my ancestors weren't from here, but I still said that. This is, that, we don't have to get defensive about it. I absolutely will be defensive if you are saying something that is offensive. That's rational. That wasn't supposed to be offensive. It was. Okay, but you could say, hey, that's kind of offensive. I you don't get to dictate how I respond to offensive things though. Okay, this is gonna we don't have to go down this path. What I meant was America was founded on the principle that we all get to enjoy that is personal freedom. Okay. Well, that's ridiculous when we had slaves for over five hundred years. Okay, but Right? That's not personal freedom at all. <laughs> okay, but the right to freedom, the pursuit of freedom. Right, we don't have slaves today, thankfully. We are much better today. I mean, we could nitpick all the horrible things that we have done throughout history, because there's no shortage. But the con- the founding principle of this country was personal freedom, and we're closer to that than we've ever been. We're not perfect. I hope we get there someday, but I think forcing people to do things that they don't want to do takes a step backward rather than a step forward. And I think it's, I think you're completely right. I think we should look out for one another and we should care about people. And we do in a lot of ways and we don't in a lot of other ones that I think is crazy. But forcing anyone to do something they're not comfortable with worries me as a person. Because I don't think we should, I don't think you should be able to force someone to do, to do something. Because that's how you get in uncomfortable situations with people. When you say... You don't have a choice with your body. You don't get to decide regardless of the reason. That worries me. And yes, maybe this is a good a good time to use that power. Maybe it, it is for a great cause. Maybe it is for the betterment of society. Maybe it wouldn't go anywhere bad. Maybe they would just do it with the vaccine and we would knock it out and we could get back to our lives. And I would be, if that is how it would go and we could just move on from this and start getting back to normal and making real progress, I would be all for that in a heartbeat. But I don't really trust the government because of the things that I've heard that they've done and I've known that they've done. And giving the government more power to decide 
people's lives scares me. They already have this power. We're not giving them more power. They don't have the power. That's why they're letting, that's why they're kind of putting the squeeze on companies to do it. They're mandating it for their employees, but this has never been done. And I think I just, maybe I'm too skeptical and I would grant that. Maybe I am. Maybe I'm trying to look 10 steps ahead, but I'm actually running with some crazy idea that it's going to be some nefarious purpose that, I mean, I've like the Tuskegee syphilis experiment, things that the government has done. It's super shitty. That freaks me out. Maybe I'm too jaded from that. And that is entirely possible. But letting them have the power to force people to do things freaks me out because the government, these people in Congress, like they don't give a shit about the people. Maybe if I thought they did, or if they actually cared about people or Biden actually gave a fuck, I would be like, okay, I trust that. Like maybe if Obama was up there saying this, saying, Hey, we have to do this. We have to get vaccinated. We have to take charge. Maybe I would be more inclined to be like, yeah, okay. Obama has come out and said we have yeah, to but get he, vaccinated. He's, I meant like in and the like, time in the time of 2016. You think that like half of the global population has gotten vaccinated and that they were wrong to do so? No, no, no. I think that's great. But they chose to do that. And the other half is choosing not to. And so now the half that chose to, forcing the half that chose not to, that just worries me. And again, maybe I'm skeptical. But it like worries you more than knowing that people are dying from this. It worries you more than knowing that it millions of people are dying from this. It worries me equally. I'm not willing to force those people to do it. I'm also not willing to force them not to. Like I think, I think like people you're should putting choose. your ideology before people's lives. And that the real consequences of your ideology means millions of people die. Maybe, but if really I know this is going to, this is my only opinion or my personal opinion, but if, you know, if I died, God forbid, knock on wood, I, I might say, okay, get vaccinated, but I still wouldn't say you should force people to get vaccinated. You see so many people videoing from their literal hospital yeah. beds begging people to get vaccinated. Yes. Do I think that you should be vaccinated? Yeah. Go get vaccinated if you want to. If you want to. I just think it's weird. The forced compliance is uncomfortable. And the guilt trips and the incentives with $50 Target gift cards or $100 whatever, $25 Starbucks cards... It's uncomfortable. And I get it might be coming from a good place. I wonder if you lose someone close to you from COVID, if you'll feel the same. God forbid that that doesn't happen. Maybe we'll address it. God, I hope that doesn't happen. I do too. Yeah. But no, I'm I know. No, I like, know. I was just. Yeah. I hope that doesn't happen. But you're right. I mean, it's all experience based. And maybe I would. Maybe I would sit here and say, we have to get everyone, we got to do whatever it takes to force them. I don't, but even the idea of forcing people to do something, it just does not, and I don't know, I can't sit here and tell you 100% why, but the idea of forcing someone saying you have to, me, I mean, why would I have that power? Why should the government have that? Forcing someone to do something just does not, 
doesn't sit right with me. Even though we do that with so many other things from carrying we license do, around, getting permits before you we build, do. like getting vaccinations before you go to school. Like but there's this is so a, many things that we force people step. to do. This is a big step. We have never forced anyone to do something like this. Like this is the first, this is a big moment. And how this plays out will be a big, I mean, this whole pandemic is a big moment. It's a big learning lesson. But this is the first step. This, at this level, with these restrictions, this is, this is a big step. And I just, I want people to look critically at any forest compliance and at any direction that we go. I just, and I'm 23. I don't have, I don't have any answers. I don't have life figured out for shit. So maybe I'm completely in the wrong and Maybe my opinion will be sprayed. Maybe I'll look back and think I was in the right. I, I I don't know. But I know that in this moment, the idea of forcing someone to do something scares me. Just like that, I know this isn't a good comparison, but, and I'm not comparing it, but the Texas abortion thing, that scares the fuck out of me. I feel like we're making these steps that the government and people in the government are trying to force decisions on other people. And I think across the board... We just have to be very, very, very careful with that. We just have to be careful. And I don't know. I might be on the wrong side of history with this one. That is entirely possible. I'm just... I'm just a kid doing a podcast. Like, I don't have shit. We talked about ivermectin and the horse dewormer. I mean, I don't have shit figured out. But from my limited perception and my skepticism of the government... I just, I just think we should move carefully because when people are afraid, they will do anything not to be afraid. And that's when we can get into trouble. I think we can leave it on that. We had a very, very good, that was a heated, but I, I did really enjoy talking with you and you did make me question some things and I definitely I definitely have things to think about I definitely want to think critically about where I stand on this and why I feel this way and I hope it didn't I hope I didn't hurt your feelings or anything with anything that was said I, ho- I hope you enjoyed coming on maybe a little bit too you don't think I'm some crazy you might think I'm a crazy horse dewormer guy but I can live with that I you definitely did not hurt my feelings um, and I do kind of think you're a conspiracy theorist. Okay, I can and, live with that. And I will definitely look up letters. Yeah, the emails. <laughs> I'll look up. I'm the, gonna. The I gotta emails. look up the emails too now because maybe I'm. Maybe I am. I can't see the forest for the trees. Maybe I'm too close <laughs> to things, which is entirely possible. I've talked to a lot of very interesting and fun people on this thing, and it's easy to get to get lost in the forest online today. I can completely admit that. So, and I'm the first to say that I've gone down rabbit holes and been like, Nick, what are you, what are you doing here? You gotta, you gotta get off YouTube for a couple days because <laughs> life is, life is crazy. But yeah, really, thank you. Thank you for coming on. We did, we did three hours. So we've been, we've been in here for a minute. That sounds like a lot of fun editing. For yes. Oh, uh, worth it. They've <laughs> all been worth it. Yeah. Okay. Samantha, thank you so much. Really, I really, really enjoyed talking with you. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks, guys.